December 25, year 2017. I'm Walter Hughes, sitting here next to a heater. The one that Patricia gave me, so she's so good to me. And let's see, she's still there. She's 3,000 miles away. Hello, Patricia. Hello, Walden. Hi, everybody, and Merry Christmas. December 25th, 2017. And it came. I'm... I'm still working on May. <laughs> well, but it's here. Well, considering considering it was just been an interesting year for adorable, I was, I think that's okay. It has been an unusual year yes, for sure. Yeah, You're right. Yeah, yeah. So if you're still on May. That's pretty understandable. <laughs> that's right. Oh, I <laughs> forgot about May. Yeah. So uh, because we are live tonight and we are not physically sitting in Bill's and Mike's chairs. But we are sitting in for them, and that means you get to hear it. It's not Saturday. It really is Monday. And we'd love to hear from you, 714-545-2071. Take it, Walden. What did you do today? Uh, well, I uh, swept. You know, <laughs> <laughs> considering Saturday and Sunday was a pretty big deal. You know, for you and I yeah. and everybody. Well, that, for you. I mean, you just went for extra hours, extra, extra. You know, so we did, I think, what, nine hours on Saturday, nine and a half hours on Sunday. And so I took You a, did that, not we. It was a we thing because I couldn't do it all uh, without you. I, I did a part of it, so that 
half of it is we. Yeah, it's a we. Anyway. Not even. Anyway, so we uh, we swapped some, and then we we opened some Christmas gifts. I opened up my my Amazon Echo, and it's like a cylinder. It's like a speak. It's like a uh, shape of a microphone kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And the two buttons, like a switch to turn it on and off, and one for the microphone. And so, mm-hmm. so I need to um, download. I got six app to get it started, so hopefully my brother will it, do it on his on his Android phone or what our neighbors will. <laughs> I don't have a smartphone. I still have a dumb That's phone. That's right. You don't. <laughs> you cannot it download it to your computer? Maybe you can. It just says I. It says tablet or smartphone, but I haven't gone to look at Amazon. It's, you know, hmm. it's an Amazon site. So you I think we be might su- have to break down? Oh, someday. I know we're, I know oh. that's in our future. I don't want it. You know, I know it's in our future. But, um, and then, then you, then you get to, to uh, put in our Wi-Fi information, which we'll do, and then that way it will be activated. So that, and then it's just, such good food. You know, a lot of people sent us food this year, John from Maryland and Dan from India. Dan, <laughs> I, we, I found out what Dan sent my mom and dad and my brother. They didn't get bourbon balls. They got cookies from Dan. Oh, oh, oh good. So, and I have eaten two of We're the We're still bur- on the super special list. Yeah, so I've eaten uh, two of the bur- bourbon balls, Dan, so. Two of them. Two wow, of them. you're fifty percent ahead of no, a hundred percent. Double, yeah, double above the, last year. Yeah, double the output of last year. Already, yeah. But I I was nice. I I do have the box out there on the on the <laughs> so we'll see how long they survive. But at least I've had two, and we have boxed up Patricia's uh, box from Dan and her, and two bags of tushy rolls from Dan and a card from John. So that's on its way. To Patricia. Mm, yum, 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 yum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that yep. we, that we shipped out, and then uh, then my my dad aunt, my dad's sister, my aunt, and her husband Tom came, and so we had honey baked ham uh, from from uh, Frank and Bobby. Um, my aunt brought scalloped potatoes. My mom made our famous pineapple marshmallow salad and we had cream corn and so we we enjoyed that Uh, I skipped the dessert I was too full I had three helpings of ham (laughs) so I skipped dessert do we have a phone call we do and dessert with pumpkin pie so I haven't had any pumpkin pie so then I took a nap hello there you're on with Patricia Merry Christmas Patricia and Walden hi Jim Merry Christmas to you. Hope all is, um, I'm glad you had such a good time. I hope your device works for you. We'll find out. Yeah. Yeah. Walton, can you turn you down and Jim down? Yes. Because you're so loud you're breaking up. Yeah, I can do that. There you go. Okay. The world of technology. It is. The world of technology. The world of Walden. (laughs) Well, if it, if it works, it's wonderful. If it doesn't work, it's horrible. You know, it's that way. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. We never had it before, but if it fails now, it's the end of life. <laughs> that's so true. I couldn't picture people 
having to send messages, say, in bottles again. <laughs> yes. or, yes. Or, or, can you imagine, if it wasn't for technology, the three of us wouldn't be such close friends? I mean, we, we've known each other. Yeah, I mean, look, the, back in the day, yeah. and it wasn't that long ago, you could only hear the radio station, or, or if reception was good, distant stations at night, but you could only hear radio stations in your, you know, over the air. Yeah. You couldn't have conversations like this. You can't. Long distance calls were a treat, not a. A regular occurrence. Yeah, you had to. You know, I can remember when we, we would get calls on route from my grandmother, or whatever. On it would only be like at Thanksgiving or Christmas. Sometimes maybe Sundays, and you always had to be sure if you'd made a long distance call. You made it person to person to avoid them not being there and you being charged for someone else answering the phone. I, I remember AT&T advertising that call call your family on Sundays. The, the special rate for I think Sunday afternoons were the special family rate for people. Right, and some and for a while they had them like Friday night to Sunday morning, Sunday night. I know, I know Patricia and her sister talk to each other almost on a regular basis, don't you, Patricia? I mean, that's... Mm-hmm, that's, we do. And now I made you turn you down too low. Okay. Well, we had a Sorry. quiet day here. My housemate is working. She works at a restaurant, as you probably know. Um, they're open today. It surprised her that they'd be open, but they called her last week and asked her to work today. So she's working over which, there. Which restaurant is it, Jim? And he's restaurant in um, uh, Walnut Creek, California. Mm. A Chinese okay. restaurant? Yeah, she's a dishwasher. Ah. Yeah, I, I wondered if it was a chain. I don't know if it's, I'm not, it's a locally owned place, I'm uh-huh. pretty sure. Okay, all right. And so uh, she's um, doing that. We had a, she, she fixed her, we got a roast and a ham today. Ooh. And we had some sweet potatoes and some stuffing. Uh, sort of a, cr- a crumb cake, I guess you call it, or something. Tonight I'm going to have some apple cider. She's going to open the apple cider tonight. Mm. They were out of eggnog yesterday at the store. We went, or not Saturday, she went to the store to get eggnog, and they were out there maybe yeah. um, before New Year's. Usually they have eggnog till what, New Year's Day, generally? Well, something like that. We haven't had any eggnog this year, but that's one down my favorite. To drink. And I don't like it mixed. I mean, I'm, I'm like one of my other friends. I don't, I don't mix it with any, you know, liquor or anything. I just like the plain eggnog. Yeah, a lot of people do. That's what I do. I drink it straight. And some people like it hot. Really? Mm-hmm. I've never had, I, I've never had my eggnog on the rocks either. It's just straight. <laughs> I had it, you know, and it, we were remembering, well, I was remembering in the 60s that Dr. Pepper, maybe we talked about this one time, promoted having Dr. Pepper hot in the winter. Never knew that. I remember the commercials. They wanted you to heat Dr. Pepper? You heated it in a saucepan. Oh, yuck. <laughs> Did you put anything in it? No. Double yuck. It does to me... Soda hot, I mean, is is just tea. I could understand coffee. I could understand. Yeah. Chocolate. But it, it must have taken all the fizz out of it. 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I had it one time. I don't remember it that well. But one thing I'll say about Dr. Pepper, it's unique. You know, you know, like to me, Seven Up and let's say Mountain Dew taste similar. Coke and Pepsi taste similar, mm-hmm. but Dr. Pepper has a unique taste that no one's been able to copy. Have you noticed that? I think you're right. No, because I don't drink Dr. Pepper. I've only had it a few times. I thought it tasted like a cherry Coke. Yeah, well, maybe I, it did. I don't, you know, I never thought of that. I know cherry Coke makes a cherry Coke now. And, and, yeah. And also, diet Dr. Pepper is very similar to regular Dr. I can't tell the difference. They're very, they're very similar. I remember... Yeah, they did a good job. Yes, yeah, crossing I, over, they did. I remember in the 70s, some diet soda was just awful. Uh, you know, they took something... They had something that they used to have in it called cyclomates, and they took them out in the late 60s, early 70s, because they thought they mm-hmm. were dangerous. And they had saccharin or mm-hmm. something, Nutrisweet, I think it may have been called. I think, I think the worst diet soda for a while was 7-Up. That, that had such a strange aftertaste. I think they were trying to fill it up with extra lemon or mm. something. Um, I, I like Tab. I've had Tab a few times. Oh, uh, yeah. My, I grew Ooh, up on that Tab. that was the Cyclamate early, early on. I grew because my grandmother always had Tab. So I Cyclamate were big from about 1950 to about 1969 when the mm-hmm. HEW banned them. Mm-hmm. Sucarol used to be something you could put in your coffee instead of... Uh, Sugar. It was something called yeah. sucral that was made by Abbott Labs in you remember, Illinois. Do you remember Fresca? Yes. Fresca had that little wine on the can. I always liked Fresca. Was, it's ca- and I remember they had a big windstorm in their commercials. It's cold or whatever it is. <laughs> uh, yeah, I remember Fresca. I remember... Um, do we still have Fresca? I think so. I haven't heard it advertised. I haven't heard it advertised. I don't remember seeing it in the stores, but I remember Fresca. You remember I was saying to you yesterday, or maybe Saturday, when I don't hear a product advertised on radio anymore, I wonder if they still make it. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's why some company keeps uh, advertising just for that, that they don't lose that brand identification in the all I know. All I know about radio advertising is all I know now. I know Geico exists. <laughs> and cars for kids, yeah. forbid. Yeah. Oh, that drives me crazy. To me, my idea of eternal damnation <laughs> be having to listen to the cars for kids commercial forever. So you want to sing the jingle for us? You know, I don't. Cars for kids. so bad, I, I don't even. heard of it. 1 800, whatever that stupid. It's, it's, it's a charity. Thing, Patricia, they want you to donate the, your cars for car for kids, some charity. It's awful. The song is just awful. And it, it's, it's a guy and a boy singing the song, and all it is is repeating the phone number. 1 800 oh. Cars for Kids. The one I did like, mm-hmm. they did the number and sang it years ago on the Mystery Theater sometimes. When Best Western at 1 800 528 1234. You remember that? Nope, I don't. All I remember is Tom, what, Tom, the guy that did the Motel Six. Tom Bodette. Tom Bodette. 
By the way, we stayed in a Motel 6 during our move transition. We were in a Motel 6. You, you were faithful to Tom Bodette. Did he keep the light on? You know, I don't remember. <laughs> it wouldn't make any difference to me anyway. So. Um, but I spent the day, what did I spend the day doing? Oh, I spent the day, since I heard bits and pieces of he, or that chronology is what I listen to today, a lot of it. We have a copy of it for Patricia. So, thank you, Virginia. So, we'll, and I think we already put that in Patricia's box. You're really going to enjoy it, Patricia. Oh, good. Yeah. A whole history of okay. Christmas music. He goes into the details on the records when they were out. Uh-huh. All the versions that were done. I mean, you'll hear the evolution of Christmas music. And what's interesting, by the night, by the 90s, or 80s, or even the mid-70s, Christmas mm-hmm. music wasn't charting as much. Every year there used to be a new Christmas song that would come out. Mm-hmm. But they're less frequent now. I have some terrible news for people. Yeah? That as, as, as a single, as a single release, White Christmas is now number two. Oh, dear. Uh, is one that thing Elton John did for Elizabeth's or Diana's funeral? Yes, Candle in the Wind is number one. But some people don't been there that. My dad never counted. He says he doesn't consider that. I mean, he considered just, he considered that just a temporary thing. It wasn't. For me, I don't recognize it. I don't recognize it. I still recognize White Christmas. Yeah, most people would, I guess. In Chicago, by the way. I, you know, WMAQ changed their call letters to something else in 2000. Ron and I mm-hmm. decided years ago we're not going to recognize the new call letters. It'll always be WMAQ to us. It was WMAQ in 1922 to not to 2000. Um, WMAQ TV is still called WMAQ, but it became a sports station, and they changed the call letters. Boo hiss, boo hiss. Yes. What a heritage the station had. Um, Where is it? Where is it located? Chicago. In Chicago, okay. 670 on the dial. They were at the home of Fibber, Biggie, and Molly for a while when they were in Chicago. Yes, in the merchant. Oh, how could it be bad? Yeah, I know. And and they decided to change it for some stupid... And I, Oh, you heard the other news. KQV, I guess, in Pittsburgh is going away January 1st. The owners are shutting the station down. Hmm. It was Pittsburgh. Pen- I wonder why. why do I don't know. Money, maybe. Ratings. Yeah. Oh, it's a news. St- it's a news station. But it's oh. what's bad about it. It's one of the few three-letter call stations left. Mm-hmm. We have KGO in San Francisco. We have KOA in Denver. WGN Chicago. WLS Chicago. KNX and KFI in LA. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, when we had George Green, who was a program director for the famous talk radio station here in L.A. for many years, a couple months ago on Sunday, uh, he thinks the really the only viable format on AM radio is, is the news stations now. Uh, so I'm surprised to see the news station in Pittsburgh go away. Well, I don't know if the new owners are going to take it over. I just, I just heard this a few weeks ago, hmm. uh, January 1st the end of this month. Uh, 
By the way, next Monday is a historic anniversary for radio. January 1st, 50 years ago, ABC closed down its old radio network and split it into four demographic radio networks. Mm. Uh, but previously, ABC had been one straight ABC radio network. So you're telling me next year at the 50th anniversary when uh, the Breakfast Club won Right, December 27th. Yeah. Next year. Maybe next year you can play that last show. Maybe we can figure out who, who's still left around from the Breakfast Club. We can have a, a Breakfast Club reunion with different people. I'm trying to remember who. Let's see, you had. Of course, Don McNeil's gone, of course. Yeah, we've had two. two Brenda Lee, one of the singers around, and Betty Johnson, one of the singers. And maybe there's other. Kathy, is Kathy Taylor still around, I wonder? She was the last singer. Okay. And you had um, uh, Sam Collin is probably gone now. You know, Sam. Yeah. Um, Eddie Valentine was the orchestra leader. I don't know if he's still living. or Ed McKean was the announcer. Captain Stubby was on there. I don't know if he's still on. You know, I don't know where these people, if these people are or aren't. It's amazing what the Internet does. So I can, I can Google up sure. Some people have a website, or some people who have fans related to a personal website, and they and they know different family members that keep in touch. It's it's been remarkable to find. Did, by the way, when Brenda talked to you, mm -hmm. talk about that Breakfast Club incident. Yep, she showed sure did. Cause we, she, she, she had no choice because we played it. Yeah, right. This this was the one Patricia where um, she was nine years old, mm -hmm. and the singer and. Uh, she got, got done doing a, singing a song, and Great Nut Freights was the sponsor, and Don McNeil asked her live what she thought of Great Nut Freight, and she said she didn't like it, and that was, it just broke up the audience. And, and Don was trying to keep, and Don was trying to keep the conversation going somewhat. It got, to me, it got more laughs to me than the Jack Benny Money or Your Life thing. People say that got the most laughs of any routine. To me, that Breakfast Club thing was far in the number, the long, the, I'm talking about the time, the time the laugh lasted. Yeah, pretty good. It was a good run. Um, but uh, what did she say about, though, after it happened? Did she talk about? Not too much. She didn't have anything else. <laughs> she, she definitely remembered it, but she didn't. She, she, didn't, she, was a, she was a woman of very few words, let's put it yeah. that way. Yeah. You know, but uh, we played it. Well, and did she, did she laugh when she heard it? No. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Some people don't like to be reminded. Like, for example, have you ever encountered that in any OTR convention when, you, when an actor or actress, let's say, or writer is ask about a show, and they weren't happy to recall it. Has that ever happened to you? Not too often. Now, I remember uh, at a Spurvac meeting listening to that uh, Dick York. You know, most people remember him from the b TV show, but he was also Billy on Jack Armstrong. And the conversation that day was mostly old-time radio, and some people wanted to talk to him about TV a little bit. He talked about it, but really... Let's keep talking about radio, you know. So you know, he just wanted to focus on 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 the days of radio in Chicago. But like, like I often wonder if, say, of course it's too late now, but mm -hmm. let's say if, if if one could have talked to Frank Sinatra and interviewed him, if he would have had anything nice to say about Rocky Fortune. Oh, 
Interesting. Uh, well, you know, we had the, the writer. Yeah, Ernest Noy Wright and George Lefford. Sir. Well, George Lefford actually created the series, and George is still with us. He is still writing at age 95, 96. Um, and we, Larry and I have him on the air. And, and I think he said really Sinatra had a good time with it. You know, it was a... Quiet. He, he really had a good time with the show. Well, I know he was doing it out of hunger at the time because his career was kind of in a slump. And it, From Here to Eternity had just come out as a movie. And so once that, once that the movie took over, then it, it, his schedule just would uh, permit. And so trying to find, you know, and so the show was created for Sinatra. Trying to find a replacement just really didn't make sense. I mean, who else, who, for you for you too, who do you think would have been a good replacement? For I can't think of anybody. It, it, it fit Frank to me perfectly. Uh, there was, you remember there was one episode, I don't remember which one, where Frank is singing, or Rocky, I should say, is singing From Here to Eternity. And, you know, the, inspe- the sergeant, the police, his police sergeant friend, uh, he's singing From Here to Eternity. And you might remember the sergeant says, who was played by Barney Phillips, who do you think you are, Frank Sinatra? <laughs> oh, yeah. <clears throat> Walden, I just got a note from Tom in... New York, and he said, you're not loud enough. Oh, okay. I'm fine. Jim is fine. You're not. Okay. Well, I can do that. Okay. But um, And then people would be happy. Tony Randall, when Chuck Shaden interviewed Tony Randall, Tony Randall, although he liked radio, and you might remember on The Tonight Show, he recalled all those openings, I don't think he really was that happy rem- reminiscing about radio. That was my impression from Chuck's interview. Uh-huh. You know, when he was with Johnny Carson, he was terrific. Yes. Talking about old-time radio. And what was interesting, isn't it amazing how he could do those openings, Mr. D.A.? All the openings he did. Mm-hmm. And guys, the guys I knew that knew him personally that sat with him at barbershop, he would reminisce about old radio. So it just really depends on what mood Tony was in, I think. Well, one who never liked to talk about it, and I know you all tried to get him, was William Conrad. He just he just wouldn't do interviews. He wouldn't. He did that one thing for the Gunsmoke special, but he he never. I guess you we all tried to get him to conventions and all kinds of things, and it just never worked out. Well, let me go back to he would he would have supported Spurvac. He used to donate money to Spurvac. Too. Oh well, then, well okay then. Well, that's good enough. Then. Yeah, <laughs> Tony Randall did. Yeah. It's just some people just don't like to promote themselves, I mean, appear, I guess. I mean, that's fine. People, and, and, I think, and I think even Bill Conrad donates to Spurvac, too. Even though he just yeah. personally talks about it, he would donate. But um, but some people just don't like... Um, John Dunning did say in his book, the second book, when he tried to interview Don McNeil in his article on The Breakfast Club, uh, Don said something like, you have two chances to fence what, what's the word? Slim and none for an interview. And he apologized to John Dunning later for being so abrupt. Yeah, some people like to only talk to uh, interviews that have a big enough platform. Like Entertainment Tonight or something. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, in a way, I think it's been remarkable how many people we have talked to that's not been a factor. Um... You know, other, some people would rather have 30 seconds on entertainment tonight, 30 seconds, than an hour with you guys. Some people, especially if, they're, if their management gets involved. 
you know, if yep. your management gets involved, that's a critical issue because maybe their livelihood is based upon a number of appearances. Um, I'm still amazed how many guy people, guys, men and women, you all have been able to get, when even j- not just with Spurdback, but right here on Yesterday USA, how many people you've been able to contact, it's interview. Been, it's been amazing. It's been amazing. I'm, uh, you know, I'm working on new names. I'm, uh, I'm also going through my list. I go through a list of every year, see who's still out there, and see if I can find new contacts. I know that every year on the second Saturday of the month, Steve on Those Were the Days and Chuck before him, as part of Those Were the Days, does his necrology of people who we lost this year. Mm-hmm. And that might be a good source. I mean, on January 13th, or and I guess, of course, Larry records those shows. Mm-hmm. And, and he posts, and every spring he posts the necrology on the Nostalgia Digest. So you can see the names of people. And I think Charles Osgood, on, on that show that CBS does on Sunday morning, Sunday morning on television, mm-hmm. they always do a goodbye segment the last Sunday of the year for the people we lost. Yeah, what I do, I keep I keep a running list, and then I Google and see if they're still around every year. About every year. I don't always know. I mean, it's no. a big... I heard that um, that's... I only found about a, about Keeley Smith because Dennis Terry mentioned it. On his oldie show Friday. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm I'm sorry because I I used to talk to her brother down in Palm Springs. She could get always arranged. The last time I called down there, she just had surgery. So I would uh, uh, she was one of the great voices. I was surprised how old she was. She was 89. I thought she was a tad younger. So. Yeah, I, I, you never know. Mm-hmm. Um, so Patricia, I hope that uh, this week. We'll find you to be very comfortable. Are you all going to go all night tonight, or what are you all going to do? Oh, heavens. Oh, heavens. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I am. Don't don't turn him loose. <laughs> are you really? I, 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 Patricia will join me until probably midnight, and then I'll switch to the blue, and then I will continue. I think John Roy might join me after they get home from the family Christmas gathering for a while. Got those lined up to play if you have. Well, I, I've, uh, you know, I haven't play the Christmas Carol yet this year. Yeah. So I definitely should get that. I, I think I love the way the opening of the 39 with the opening scene with Lionel Barrymore and the Carol scene. I think it's one of the great... And Bob trying to yeah. do his... Do his uh, yes. And being distracted by the carols. Yeah, I just think it's one of the great openings of old-time radio, that whole opening scene. And I mentioned, of course, the other night, that classic music scene, mm-hmm. when but when but when Cratchit uh, is playing Bly Van's Bluff, and then you hear Bernard Herman go, boom, and Orson Welles going, Scrooge, on the other hand. Mm-hmm. And it was a bleak kind of music tone. <laughs> and I'm looking forward to now, they, they, they have an Orson Welles site up now, from his recording, and our guest on Friday said the recording equipment is the best he's ever heard that's up on the site. So well, that's good to know. So well, I will let you guys go. But thank you, Jim. A very Merry Christmas. You too. One wants to call, and Merry Christmas again to you, Patricia. We'll, we'll thank talk you, Jim. I'm glad, I'm glad you had a good day. We will talk Saturday. Enjoy the chronology when you have time to hear it. Okay. And I appreciate your taking listen, care of that. Since it's on, since you have it, the file of it, you can do it in installments, you know, take an hour or 30 minutes. Mm-hmm.
go through it and just listen to it that way. Yeah. No, no, yeah. no, no, Patricia, she'll do a song a day. That way she'll have Christmas every day. Oh. Ooh, that um, would be good. Yeah. And uh, uh, you'll even hear such obscurities as the Christmas alphabet by the McGuire mm-hmm. sisters, I think. Um, you'll hear Christmas songs that you have ne- maybe never heard before. So, mm-hmm. so you'll really, that's what you'll really enjoy. Excellent. And okay, then well, Saturday, I thank you so much for the heads up on that. Yes, on Saturday, maybe we'll talk about plans for reading Don't Touch That Dial, because I know I don't want it to interfere if you, if you, about your surgery coming up or whatever, uh, if you need to get your health in gear first. I mean, I want you to do what's, what's best for you on that. Yeah, I, I have an appointment with the um, heart doctor on the 3rd of January, so that's, what, a little more than a week away, that's it. Mm. Excuse me. And so I will know more then. So we'll talk on Saturday about what plan, mm-hmm. about a rough idea of when you want to do it. Sure. Remember, it's online now, so you don't have to get the book out of storage. And I appreciate that. Thank you for telling me. Thanks again. All right, Jim. Okay, good night, Jim. Merry Christmas. 714-545-2071. Merry Christmas to all. And uh, Guess what? what? When I asked you to turn you down, you really went down. Okay. Well, you know, I try to please. I know. Let me see here. All right, texting one, two, three. Four, there, stop. Okay. Right there. I got the hot buttons. There you are. I know you've got all the buttons. I do. You've got the hot ones, the cold ones, the medium <laughs> ones. And by the way, for anybody who cares, I'm in the chat room right now. Patricia's in the chat room. Hello there. You're on with Patricia. Okay, this is John from Maryland. Hi, John. Merry John, Christmas. how are you? Merry Christmas. Thank you very much. I enjoyed myself this year. I couldn't do much, but I enjoyed myself. Oh, that's good. I've been eating, all good. Your, I've been eating your tushy roll, John. But, <laughs> but but I won, you know, I took two bags away. That way Patricia has her tootsie roll, so I'm not tampering with her merchandise because I think I was hearing about it. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have to call the cops on you. Oh, this is good. No shoplifting over, over in California. But, but $18, John Posey, you want to make sure it got here. My gosh, John, thank you. I didn't do it. My wife did that. <laughs> well, thank thank you both of you. I'm assuming that you have joint interest in the dollars in your pockets. So I thank both of you. That was really nice. Oh, gosh, John. <gasps> Maybe next time you'll send a couple at a time in a plain envelope for a, <laughs> for a forever stamp. Oh, my goodness. This is really a treat, though. I thank you so much. Well, I enjoy sending to you. I enjoy talking to you. Even though we had you've a... Start, you've started a tradition. <laughs> Tootsie Rolls, not chocolate. <laughs> they are, but they are. They're a chocolate-flavored treat. <laughs> I told somebody the other day about that. Ooh. <laughs> okay, whatever you say. <laughs> so I guess we're the only ones who really appreciate it. So what did you do today, John? Well, I went over my granddaughter. Great... I went over no. I went over my great. Wait, I'll get it. I went over my granddaughter's house. She doesn't uh-huh. far from us, and and I, uh, I, we spent some time with them, 
And then we, from there, we went down my wife's cousin's house. She had an open house, and we stayed down there until, oh, I guess about 6 o'clock. But it's wow. It's kind of far away from us. It's about yeah. 60, 70 miles away. But, uh, Ooh, who did the driving? My, my son-in-law. Excellent. He drove the car that I don't drive. I can't drive anymore. No. Yeah, yeah. No. I think that's I think that's wise. Very difficult to come to terms with, but it saves your life. You just never know when you're going to have a problem. Um, you you had yourself a really busy day. Did Santa give you a present? Oh yeah, I got some. I got some. Shoes that they don't have to tie, I can snap with. They got Velcro. Oh, yeah. Hey, wow, yes. My dad got those earlier this year. They're pretty handy. Yeah, see, I can't. I have a very high instep, and boy, does it hurt. Oh, dear. All my life, I couldn't wear loafers. So mm. I wear tie shoes all the time. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. uh, and I have a very wide foot. And there's a. Oh, my. I tried and tried and tried to find a place that has them, and I never can find a place. So I found out that J.C. Penney, of all places, they handle them, and uh, but they never change their style. Yeah, <laughs> I could go there now and buy the same shoe I've been wearing for four years. <laughs> mm. <laughs> if I throw them on the floor and get them mixed up. You know, which is which. Exact same style. Uh, anyway. JCPenney's been a good store for many, 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 many years, you know. I mean, and I guess JCPenney tried. He went broke at the beginning, and then he kept he kept tweaking the idea until he finally got guys to work. It started in, in a small town in Wyoming, and that's where JCPenney's first store. I think the store... Uh, was, Oh, the house is still there. I thought it was Chicago. I, it's actually Wyoming is where the, uh, is where it's, you know, maybe that's where they made it big was in Chicago, but the actual Penny uh, home and everything's in Wyoming. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And uh, I always thought, uh, we were always told that the C, J.C. Penny sent for cash. <laughs> I don't know about that. I, uh, but anyway, you can see Little thing was cash. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, they they had the same housekeeper keep track of the old house. Yeah, I remember visiting the house and talking to the old the the housekeeper that maintained it for the family for all these years. So, uh-huh. so I asked Dad about that. Well, I just looked up mm-hmm. J C Penny, and the founder, of course, was Mister Penny. Yeah. And indeed, his middle name was Cash. Really, James James Cash Penny. <laughs> Then they were right. <laughs> oh, wow. Yes, you are. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, Jane Cash Penny. <laughs> mhm. I I still I still think it's remarkable to think that Sears and Roebuck started out a mail order catalog, and here the the brick and mortar stores in such financial trouble they're gonna wind up being a a a mail order catalog online. You know, I still think it's interesting mm-hmm. the history of that. I think Montgomery Ward does only online. Yeah. I remember when they used to have the brick and mortar store, and I guess they started out as a, a, a catalog mail ordering thing, too. In, in, in Baltimore City, they had a store 
it was huge. It was humongous. It must have been 10 stories high. Wow. And uh, it's still there, but it's taken over by the Baltimore City, and they ran out its office space. But it's, I've got pictures from 1939 that show the building, so I know it's over 70 years old. Mm. And they rented out his office space because my one of my granddaughters, her son works in, for security at M and T Bank. Mm. In uh, his office is there in that building, and I told him I said that's the old Monkey Wards building. <laughs> you know, one thing I miss from department stores is the old bells. You remember you walking in and you? Oh bing, yes, Macy's bing. had them too. Yeah. And they recall. I guess they recall their supervisors or employees. They go bong, bong, bong. You don't hear that anymore. Bong, bong. Yeah. Yeah. If they had a, that, if they had a whole lot of people, what did they have? Go ahead. Jack County goes shopping. They always you hear the bells. Mm-hmm. You remember hospitals used to have bells too. And I, I don't think you, you I, I think it's been 40 years when you, you, you don't hear a bell. And yeah. I'm assuming they used to have bells. Is my memory right? It, were there, I, I don't recall having they, heard that. Or was it just intercom? You know, calling Dr. So-so, calling, then they used to have an intercom system. Yeah, yeah. yeah and that stunk. <laughs> it was really <laughs> terrible. Okay, hospital. <laughs> I'm... I'm slow because I can only type with one hand. I have to hold the phone with the other. <laughs> well, it shows you how talented you are, Patricia. You can run the show with one hand. Yeah, one finger, kid. <laughs> <laughs> um, images, no, those are... So what was the meal, John? Was, there, was yeah. it ham, turkey? What was the uh, the meal over at your granddaughter's place? Well, she only had the finger food. Well, that's not bad. Yeah, she had finger food in my... My wife's cousin's house, she had everything. She had shrimp, she had ham, she had uh, sausage, she had dips, she had everything over there. So when it's finger food, that, did that mean really as long as a finger, or is it has to be, can it be a little bigger than a, than a finger? Oh, sure. It, it just means something that you can eat with your fingers, like little tiny sandwiches and... Yeah, or herbs. Yeah. So, so, so if I wanted to, a hot dog and a hamburger is really finger food, right? Well, not quite. That's food. <laughs> <laughs> I think finger food, you you should be able to pick it up with two fingers. Yeah. Or a thumb and a finger. A thumb and a finger, right, right. Any finger you choose. Suggest the first Have one. Or the pick second one. Pick one up your thumb. That's true. Again, please. You can't pick it up without a thumb. That's true. That's true. So it's a finger and a thumb. Or two fingers, one from each side. <laughs> that would be that would be pretty messy though. Oh gosh. Tom Thumb. Wasn't Tom wasn't that a character in a book? Tom Thumb was an actual little person who was part of the Barnum and Bailey circus. Oh. And he probably had a book or, mm-hmm. yeah, I, w- I would think a book written about him. But he was a real person. He had Ringling Brothers. He, he made uh, Tom Thumb famous. Uh-huh. Yeah. But, uh, he was very small, very small man. We were, uh, we were reminiscing today about 
we had a nearby a, a park called Lion Country Safari where you could drive in and drive with the with the lions and the and the, the, the giraffes and you might remember Bubbles. Bubbles was the hippopotamus that got loose, left the park, and people tried to find Bubbles throughout here in this Orange County. And she decided to hide in lakes and things like that until they could bring her mm. back, bring her back to the Wine Country Safari. Yeah. Were you were you talking about sodas a little while ago? Yeah, we were. Okay, do you remember Great Bed? I do not. Great Bed. It came in a bottle, a thin bottle. It was all grape soda, and it was like six ounces. I I, I remember really small bottles of soda pop. But I did not know the brand. So, grape bed. Huh. huh. I remember Welch's used to have a good grape soda. Well, this this was carbonated. Though. I don't think Welch's was carbonated. It now is. I think. I think. I think. I think you're right. In the old days, it was not. But some of the. Uh, I love the strawberry soda, and that's carbonated. Welch's strawberry soda. Oh boy. That sounds good. It really is good. Okay, I have a Tom Thumb info here. At 18 years of age, let's see. So, yeah. Um, on his 21st birthday, he was two feet 11 inches. Yeah. Wow. That is very small. Very small. Yep, I remember that, but I I never seen him. I think he was, I think he was before my time. Yeah, I, uh, let me see. He was um, he was born in eighteen thirty eight and died in eighteen eighty three. So he's way before my time. <laughs> 43, 45. 44, 45, He 45. was forty five years old, which is um. You know, for anyone who has any serious physical challenges, um, physical disorders, I'll call, uh, extreme, for example, an, an extremely tall man at eight or nine feet tall, eight feet tall, will frequently have cardiac problems early in life because the heart has to work so hard to feed oxygen to so much surface and area. So, but 45, I, I would think, and this is an I think, that he probably outlived his life expectancy. Yeah. There's, remember that giant that was on television, played in a lot of movies? He was mm -hmm. a giant. He, I think he was a wrestler. Yeah, Andre, Andre the Giant. Yeah, he didn't last long either. He died early. No, he died early, yes. They're having, yeah. a, lot, they're having a lot of the famous wrestlers die at very young ages right now and part I think part of the problem is a lot of them use steroids and things in their performances and let's face it, you don't handle steroids correctly, it can cause a toll on your body, you know. Oh, it will cause a big problem, yes. <clears throat> yes. If yeah. you take them regularly they shut down the glands that normally produce adrenaline. And if yeah. you come off them too quickly, you're gone. Yeah. Bad stuff. Really naughty stuff. Yeah, they're, they're checking me now. I probably told you I had to take a full skeletal examination. Uh -huh. Yes, you did. I'm well, I get the results on Wednesday, so. so okay. I'm why, maybe why I can't walk. <laughs> so maybe by Thursday you'll be able to call in and let us know how you're doing. Yeah, I never thought you'd be on, right? 
Yep. Yep. We're on for the next three You're weeks. You're stuck with us for a while. <laughs> I keep thinking today's Sunday. No. Oh, me too. Thank you for saying that, John. I swore it was Sunday, and it wasn't. I've been looking forward to Christmas on Sunday for weeks. Yeah, we had a real nice, uh, a beautiful uh, uh, Christmas Eve service. It was called Contemporary. It's for the young people. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And they, they had guitars and all that playing, but they played beautiful carols. It was real nice. I enjoyed myself. That's nice. But uh, my my uh, great my granddaughter and her husband they take me, which I use them for transportation, and uh, I didn't think I was going to like it because they go to it once in a while. And, and uh, I'm I'm an old fashioned person. I like you know <laughs> the traditional things. And, sure. Yeah. But uh, this was this was kind of good because they did play all Christmas music and it was nice. You know, well, you know, I mean, people forget that the Silent Night originally scored for a guitar. I mean, because the organ was yeah. broken, you know? I don't know how true that story is. The organ broke down. Yeah, well, I think it is that, pretty true, you know? Those days, they didn't have, they had pump organs, you know? They, they had somebody there to pump the organ. Maybe he didn't show up or something. <laughs> but, uh... Anyway, I, I don't know how true that is. I was only not going to ask, but uh, I don't, I'm unable to travel anymore. Mm-hmm. I would ask someone. It was embarrassing, though. One year we were over there in the Austrian Alps, and uh, they asked, uh, our state of Maryland uses the old Christmas tree or old Tannenbaum as mm-hmm. music for our eighth song. And... Uh, this was the embarrassing part. He said, would you mind singing your state song? Nobody knew it. Uh-oh. Oh, gee. So a friend of mine, well, he worked in the same office I did, and uh, his brother was one of the state uh, work for uh, the governor. He, he was in charge, some kind of secretary, secretary of something, I don't remember. And I... I had him call his brother on his private line in, in, this, in the state capitol. And I said, is there some way I can get the words or the lyrics for uh, the state song? You know, they couldn't come up with it. They couldn't come up with their state song, the lyrics. So, well, Kip, all I ever heard is the instrumental. Of the old, is it Old Melon, My my Melon? Isn't that the uh, yeah. state song? But you only... Yeah. Maryland, my Maryland. And, and so I've only heard instrumental. I don't. I've never heard the words for it. Yeah, the Despotio. It says the Despotio is on the shore. Maryland, my Maryland. You know who the Despotio was? Nope, I have no idea. Abraham Lincoln. Huh. He was the Despotio's on our shore. I see. Maryland, my Maryland. But uh, I, we had to sing it when I was in school. But I don't. I I couldn't remember the words because it's. Not not sing it. People don't sing it, you know. I think at one time there was a chorus from the Maidava Academy at the uh, running of the Preakness. Yeah. And, you know, like they would have old Kentucky home for the Kentucky. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I think the Naval Academy choir did actually sing uh, Maryland, my Maryland. 
but generally nowadays they have some either something one of the schools play it at the uh, Preakness State Grade, just the instrumental part, but I, you know, never heard the words. The Tespatillos on the Shore, Maryland, my Maryland. I, I can't remember all the lyrics for it. But you remember that you have a song. That's a minor miracle in itself, John. It is a full-fledged yeah. miracle that you remember any part of it. <laughs> and on, on, the time? Bus, yeah. on, the bus, on the bus, we have trivial things while we're traveling on the bus. Uh-huh. One of the questions was, which state in the Union has foreign language? What state in the Union has a foreign language? Has a, has a foreign language within it or as a state language? No, a state language, a foreign language. A state language. State language. Uh, see, New York? I will, pick, I will pick Louisiana and French. Nope. Hawaii. Hawaii? Oh, of course. Oh, Hawaii. stupid me. <laughs> stupid. Don't worry, nobody on the bus got it. We <laughs> on there. A few schools. Wow. They didn't get it either. They were saying things like Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah, well, they would have been right. <laughs> oh, gee. Yeah, Brooklyn has a separate language. Mm-mm. What do you know? Brooklynese, huh? Brooklynese, right, and Bronxese. Yeah. Yeah. That's cute. I was, I was in Brooklyn one time. I went there. And I went to Coney Island. We took the Staten Island Ferry. Oh, wow. How did you like Coney Island? Well, when I went over there, it, it, the beach was so crowded, people were standing up on the beach. You're kidding. Wow. Oh, my goodness. I had no idea. Yeah, that's... I, well, I, yeah, I, what, I knew Coney Island was always crowded in the summertime, but I had no idea it was that crowded. That's, and they've got a fair amount of beach there. And that's the first time I ever saw pizza. I never saw oh. pizza before. And uh, that was something. I saw him. He was in the window, throwing it up in the air. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, the the Joe, yeah. And they and he's putting the, the tomato sauce on there and different things. Uh-huh. And it, I, I wonder. I didn't know what that was. Oh my goodness, that's amazing. Um, how old were you when you were there? Oh, I was. I guess I was. It was just after the war ended when they lifted the travel ban. Mm-hmm. I guess I was a teenager. So you were a teenager. Now, did you like the pizza at first? I didn't want it. I was oh, why? ordering. I was scared to order it. So. Oh. You remember the first time you ordered pizza, John? I remember the first time I ordered a pizza. Yes, I do. It was. It was. We were at a school dance, and they, they, and they were introducing it in our area. But they didn't call it pizza. It was just a tomato pie. Oh, gosh. Oh, that sounds and as appetizing as mud. Ooh. <laughs> so I split it I split it with a buddy of mine. We each, it was a dollar. So we each oh. 50 cents and bought one. It was a nice uh-huh. pizza. So was it basically just cheese and was there anything on it? Or was it just strictly cheese and, and tomato paste? And it, it, was, it was just cheese and tomato. Well, that's pretty much what it is today for people who just order a plain pizza. Yeah. Was the sauce? I, was the tomato sauce sa- seasoned? Yeah, it was. It tasted. It tasted pretty good. Okay. But it was many yeah. years after that before I got another one. Yeah. Started, when it started becoming popular, 
and pizza, you know, that came out. Uh-huh. 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 Just, uh, P-I-Z-Z-A doesn't spell pizza. I said, where did they get pizza out of that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. You have had a, a bucket of experiences that are just so much fun to listen to, John. Yeah, one time we, when we were on vacation, we were in Italy, and uh, we went to this place to get for lunch at a luncheon, mm-hmm. and we went there, and a lot of people were ordering pizza. And a lot of them say, well, pepperoni. Mm-hmm. And all, all the people were getting pizzas with green peppers on it. And they're saying, where's the pepperoni? In Italian, pepperoni means peppers. Uh... So when you ever go to Italy and you order pepperoni pizza, you are going to get green peppers. <laughs> So that's something a lot of sure. There. sure. But that's Italian word for peppers is pe- pe- pepperoni. Well, I didn't know that, but now it makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, sure does. Sure. <clears throat> so that's the way that I can tell you about a friend of mine. He was a prisoner of war during World War II. Mm-hmm. Ooh, he, yeah. He, he kept a diary while he was a POW. Wow. Oh wow. And. Uh, he worked on the railroad. He said the U.S. would come in with these bombers and blow up all the railroad tracks. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. next day we were out there on the, uh, putting putting the railroad tracks back together. Yeah. And uh, it wasn't like you see in the movies, just strict picnic eagles and all that. It wasn't like that. And uh, it was more like that one Sergeant Schultz from Hogan's Heroes. <laughs> they had all these old older people guarding the prisoners. <clears throat> And uh, they were very careless with their weapons. <laughs> so one year, the, the uh, I think it was Easter time, he told me that they come around and said they're going to give everybody one egg. So they were all discussing how they were going to cook this egg. So a couple of them uh, cooked, fried the egg, and uh, it was rotten. It was rotten egg. So this friend of mine who was a POW there, he said, I didn't take any chances. I hard-boiled it. <laughs> mm, I'll bet. For the time they found a, a dead rabbit, and uh, they, they, mm. dead ra- they, found, they took the dead rabbit back with them and uh, oh. cooked it. And, one, and he says he remembers one guy hollering, Hooray, I found a piece of meat. They cut that thing up so fine. Yeah. Oh, oh. He had some. Oh, I, I'm ill. I wish I'd have wrote down some of the stories he told me about being a POW. It would be fun. Now, John, you have some wonderful experiences and recollections. Do you have a tape recorder or any kind of a recorder where, as you think of these things, you could talk into it and just relate it like you do to us? No, I, I depend on my memory, but I don't have a recorder. But I got a, I got so many stories that I remember. I know. Well, they can listen to our podcast. All the different times John has told stories, they can hear it. Yeah. Hear the podcast. Got, yeah, yeah, we've got hundreds more podcasts than we've been able to evoke stories from John. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Hmm. Hmm. I love, I love the room. Well, you do a great job. You're you're such a good storyteller, John. 
None of it's lies. It's all true. <laughs> I believe it. I believe it, John. Yeah, I told you the one about the spies in the house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that that was fun. Yeah. Even I repeat that story to people. <laughs> we get such a chuckle out of it. On Every time it goes around, I laugh more. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the way it was. And I just wish that people nowadays could behave like the people did then. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. It's so disappointing. Didn't hear the language. You never heard any dirty language. No. I don't remember no. any. Uh, that's the way it is now. And my, my grandkids, Dad, it's a different generation. Dad, I said, no, it mm-hmm. isn't. I said, I'm glad I lived in the greatest stepper generation, which I did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We all did. And I won't do wow. anything. Even even church, you know, they have this mm-hmm. temporary. It's all. It's not harmful to anybody, but I, I like the old traditional. In the, yes, I, yes. Brought up, and that's how I wish it was now. But uh, it's okay, I guess. Mm-hmm. All I hear from the kids is the new generation pop. It's a new spirit. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> we don't want that. <laughs> New generation. Well, we want the new generations. We just don't like the stuff that takes the place. I, I have this sense that how rich we would be if these cultural changes were added to instead of replacing some of the things that are so familiar and dear to us. Yeah, I think I've heard that some churches they they've been trying to um, merge two into one service, and the problem is you have conflict. I know some churches. What they've done, they have allowed a separate, a, a, start, a new service. So if the kids want to start temporary music, it definitely replaces what mm-hmm. a lot of people grew up with. So I think yeah. that's probably the best way to handle things like that. So, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Oh, I wanted to say also that you were talking about the number one show, Christmas movie, the show on television. You said it was, uh, it's a wonderful life. Mm-hmm. Over the holidays, I, there was three Scrooge movies on, and only the one Jimmy Stewart, It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, it's three to one right there. Yeah. Well, it's um, it's only allowed to be played once a year now. Some kind yeah. of rules. Walden knows the rules and regulations and the ins and outs of it, but you're only allowed to watch it one time. Well, I watched it. <laughs> I watched it the yeah, good for you. Good for you. <laughs> Anything in black and white movie, I'll watch. There you go. Oh, oh, me too. Oh, John, I love black and white everything. <laughs> yeah. The only thing about the black and white movies was it, it, it did a couple bad things. Betty Davis taught all the young girls how to smoke, mm-hmm. and Humphrey Bogart taught all the young boys how to smoke. <laughs> but ever watch one of their movies, that's all they do, one mm-hmm. after another. I never, I never took that into consideration. Mm. Never even, I don't recall ever having paid attention to it. Yeah, well, I do, because my brother died of long, uh, well, he had emphysema, that's what he mm. Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. I, he died too young, you know. Yeah. Yeah. There was always grandkids graduate from high school or anything like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Just you know. Yeah, yeah. It was the thing to do. 
too. I know. And Ronald Reagan, too. Yeah. yeah. Bob Reagan Bob had an advertisement for Chesterfield cigarettes. Right. Mm-hmm. And Bob Hope. And, oh, I don't know about Bob Hope, but Bing Crosby was in the newspaper every year with his carton of, what was it, Walden Lucky? Chester, it was Chesterfield. Chesterfield. Remember, yeah, and that was that was Ronald Reagan's too. Yeah. yeah. Remember a, your ABCs? A always milder. B better taste. Smoking uh-huh. ABC. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he changed it to A Arthur Godfrey, B Bing Crosby, and C Perry Como. Right. Absolutely. Hmm. The uh, was it the Supper Club? Chesterfield Supper Club. It was. Yep. Yeah, that, that's the way they advertise. It's true. It's true. And another thing, we always used to talk about uh, products they used to advertise on radio that don't exist anymore. Right. Uh-huh. Remember Sloan's Liniment? <laughs> yes, I, um, Sherlock no. Holmes, I think Sloan. And you know what, I never could figure out, I was a young, I was a young person. Mm-hmm. Sal Hepatica, what the heck is Sal Hepatica? <laughs> I knew what a pan is. Uh-huh. It says, you know, Leaves you in the morning. I said, "What the heck is it?" Yeah, I know it's a pastor. Either they weren't allowed to say, or I don't know. Yeah, yeah, true. I know what Patica was. Oh wow! Well, John, your assignment, your assignment for this week, sir, is to report in with your medical results and have another World War II story for us. Okay, I think I can do that. I bet you. Can. I think you can too. Because it's 11:37, and I'm all brushed and gobbled up, and I'm ready to hop into bed. All right, John. Oh, God, John. Thank you so much for calling in the stories. You have a good night and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, John. Same, same to you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. John and Lori are home, so we're going to bring them in to the okay. conversation. And uh, so stand by, everybody. You can still call if you want at 714. 714- Five four five two zero seven one. Patricia will be here for another twenty minutes before we send her off to bed. You know. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I have to remember when before we were on the air. I said I have a Jewish Christmas tradition. Are you there? Yeah. Well, Are we on. there? Hold on. I got two hands going. No. I just wanted to know if I can go on with the story. Yeah. Welcome to. Active okay. call. Yep. Favorites. I can do that. Favorites. Oh. Patricia, Sammy, Ray from Chick, Jim Tate, Patricia from FF, Larry Gassman, Larry Gassman, online, application, video, send, I, send, video, send, send, con, send, files, share screen, invite the group call, share, invite the enter, leaving menus, contact, unloading, job, can't, enter. Jewish affinity for Chinese food reveals a lot about immigration history and what it's like to be outsiders. I had never, ever thought about that before, but at Christmas time, there are groups of people who are quite literally outsiders or outsiders for, for that duration of the holiday. So that's, that's my contribution on culture. Hello there, Carl. You're on with Larry, John, Patricia, and Walden. Hi, it's Edwin. Just calling to say Merry Christmas to everyone. Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas to you, too, as well. Merry Christmas, I, Edwin. How are you? How did you have a well, good day, I hope? It, it was very nice. I heard that story you're referring to today on uh, on NPR about uh-huh. uh, uh, the Jewish folks 
uh, hanging out with the Chinese people. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it was quite interesting. Yeah, and I had never heard it before yesterday when I came across this piece of information. Well, there's a lot of history about uh, food and related to holidays. And I, I was listening to John, and it was interesting what he was saying about pizza because I've had, yeah. pizza, in, I've had pizza in France and Italy, and it's nothing, nothing like uh, what we consider pizza here in Chicago. Yeah. And because Chicago's famous for big crust pizza. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think, like I don't so, think it's remarkable for things. I'm just going back to the Jewish people and Chinese food and things. My late friend Bud Granoff, who was Jewish, who was the age of Frank Sinatra, he remembers finally mm-hmm. in the 30s that the big bands were playing Chinese restaurants. Yes. In New York. Oh, well, in Chinese food... Uh, with egg rolls and, and other things, you can hide food that you weren't supposed to be eating because it wasn't kosher, like shellfish huh. and mm-hmm. pork. Um, and and I don't know this personally. I'm, I'm just repeating what I heard on this NPR show today. <laughs> it was quite interesting. And uh, uh, another thing that they mentioned is that... Uh, it was just a place uh, where people could go and celebrate without being part of the Christian tradition. Which exactly. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, and I I thought it was a it it was an intriguing reason for it that the mm-hmm. two groups uh, did not roll into the Christian observation of Christmas, and they mm-hmm. kind of hung together. Uh, I, I thought that was really interesting. Well, I think it's pretty great because in theory and in principle, um, if you want to be a good, righteous person, you should uh, be open to um, get along with everybody, Christian, yes. Buddhist, and yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I don't think it's a matter of getting along with. It's that the cultures are so different that it makes sense for the Chinese and the Jews to have more of a relationship than with the Christians at on Christmas, and it's specifically on Christmas. Yes. And as far as pizza, I didn't understand what John was saying about before pizza got pop, uh, popular, because pizza got popular in the, um, in the early 1900s. Yeah, but... I think it was still cultural because my mom and dad remember not growing up with pizza. It was sort of a thing introduced into the Midwest, like in Nebraska and things, into the fifties or so. So I wonder, mm. if it, I wonder if, it, if pizza was sort of a regional food and it's just a span to be Americana now. You know, I, I just mm-hmm. my guess. That's, yeah, and I would agree with that. And I, I would just venture to say that part of the history of what we call pizza uh, was uh, brought, uh, was popularized, was popularized <laughs> in New York. And uh, pizza, uh, when it was popularized in New York, they were open-faced sandwiches that the uh, uh, workers would put on radiators while they were working, plumbers, and that's how they warmed up their lunch. 
because there was no microwaves and they were in those homes. And that's how pizza came about. Because you go to you go to Italy and order a pizza, you're gonna be disappointed. <laughs> yeah, they they don't they don't know what American pizza is. And I, I read a, a a history on that tradition, and that's what the uh, what the plumbers and electricians and, and the uh, guys that would deliver uh, and shovel the coal in the furnaces, especially in mm-hmm. the. That's what they did. They brought their lunches and put them on the radiators. Uh, the whole thing started. Mm-hmm. I, I heard even another interesting thing about uh, famous Americana food that hamburger really was not considered a normal staple until the fast food industry was born by McDonald's in 1940. It was, it, it was considered you know, not really a main staple for people to... Yeah. hamburgers and things at home or things like that. Yeah. Or, or well, I never <laughs> understood the difference between Swiss steak and hamburger. I, like, I don't get it. D- say that again, please. I have a little yes. ambient. Yeah. Swiss steak and hamburger. Yeah. Or, me- or meatloaf. Oh. Never, like, got the concept of what's the difference. <laughs> I don't know. I never heard of the first one. Mm-mm. Swiss steak? Oh, Swiss steak. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I had the ambient sounds and then a little okay. hiss on the phone. Okay. Swiss steak is, um, I don't think it's seasoned. Swiss steak is not seasoned. You usually get it with gravy. I remember a, some form of a sauce or something with Swiss steak, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's what I think of when I think about meatloaf. Mm, no. Meatloaf is seasoned and baked as a huge hamburger, whereas uh, the Swiss steak is an individual serving. Well, I like the history of food because I, uh, it, it's like uh, Walden, you probably know this already, but uh, like chop suey was invented in San Francisco. Right. Many people don't know about chop suey. Yeah, or, or you guys Fortune remember... Cookies. Fortune cookies were too. You remember? Uh huh. Yeah. You remember when the Caesar salad was invented? No, I sure don't. Larry, have any, Patricia, anything, did it have anything well, to do? Well, I remember. I'm I'm being unfair here, so okay. somebody else has yeah. to answer because I remember. I don't have a clue. It's M- oh, don't you sound good tonight? <laughs> Thank you. It's Hi, Larry. Hi. <laughs> it's in it's in Mexico. Mexico. Caesar Chavez invented it. <laughs> no, mm-hmm. but it was a it was a, rest, it was a hotel in uh, Tijuana that created the Caesar salad. And it's good. I really like that. Yeah, it's one of my favorite salads. Yeah. Yeah. I like the Caesar Chavez answer better. Okay. Yeah, because didn't can... Caesar Chavez work in the fields in California mm-hmm. and? Uh-huh. Let, picking lettuce and tomato and all that good stuff? Yep. Yeah, so. Yeah, it had a major impact. That's, remember, that's where the, the Dodger Stadium is in, you know, what, Cesar Chavez Ravine, yeah. yeah. Okay. Which I guess, I guess, when the Dodgers were thinking of moving out to L.A., I guess the city of L.A. made almost a sweetheart deal, gave them pretty much that land. 
They did. You know. They did. Yeah. A lot of people were not happy about having to move off that land. No. It was a big political issue for quite a few years. Well, I oh, yeah. heard a doc. I think I heard a documentary about that story on yesterday. You were saying. I would be surprised. I, I imagine there's been, there's been a special done on it, special when it first came out in the, in the late fifties. You know, it's sort of like the old story about uh, Candlestick Park. You know, that's where the Giants moved to, and the landowner only sold it the property during the time when the wind wasn't blowing. He sort of knew one time the wind kicked up. And so when he had the people from the New York Giants look at the field, anytime he thought maybe the wind would come, he always get through the to go out to full lunch. So they never saw so they had no idea when they moved over to the ballpark that, that they were going to be such a wind tunnel for all those years. To the other can never have happened today. No. Would never have happened today. <laughs> Are we talking as we're because they'd have done their research. Yeah. They'd have known. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I, I true. Kinda, I'm going to zone out. You guys just keep going. <laughs> that's okay. We were just working on <laughs> your. Would you? What would you like us to talk about next, Patricia? <laughs> Anything you want. Okay, Baseball football. Would be good. <laughs> Baseball yeah. would be good. Well, I'm not going to be in the chat room any longer for anybody who was planning to visit with me for the next 11 minutes. Now go. You lost it. Okay. Well, you can. I'm 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 gonna get off this phone, but Patricia, I called Walden the other day to ask him if he knew if you have ever heard of this candidate for the worst radio shows around, in my opinion, called Doctor Six Gun. Oh, I uh, played one of them, yeah. and I have to tell you, Jim in California is a uh, fan of Doctor Six Gun. But I did play. I did <laughs> one. I did. I agree with you. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's been around a long time. There are about 23 or 24 of them that ex exist. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I heard the call it the worst show, but it's not a good show. Mm, it's, it's not a good show. <laughs> it's just, well, you know, actually, the storylines were, were halfway decent in those. It just rattled me as highly unrealistic, and mm. it probably wasn't. But there, there was just something about the delivery of the plot that didn't yeah. didn't sit well with me. So, yeah, I well, found I one that, that I thought was awful. One of the 24 or 26 that survived, I found one that I thought was awful, and that's, that's what I played, and I got some hits on that. <laughs> so, not as many as with uh, Stan Freeberg, however. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, I heard, I heard Doc uh, Adams shoot a guy today on a uh, oh. smoke and oh. that was that was pretty cool because the guy on. the guy was going to kill him <laughs> he killed his horse right no, I, I think that's a good reason right yeah, was, was good. he's excused he's excused yeah it was, it was it was a good one yeah but that but that doc six gun that was uh, sad because usually i like real stupid shows because sometimes stupid shows can be hilarious. But yeah. But, man, some of these shows are so bad. So bad. But Indeed. Well, anytime you find a really awful one, I would appreciate a heads up on it. Okay, well, everyone has a marvelous holiday season and uh, 
get through next weekend also and and run outside and look at the sky and thank God for a beautiful weather because uh, our low in Chicago is going to be a one below with a wind chill factor tonight of 16 below. Ooh. Yeah, and Ooh. now I got to and Ooh. I'm getting re- and I'm getting ready to go walk my guide dog. <laughs> Say a prayer for me. Oh, do it before do it before it gets below zero. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you, Edwin. You have a good Bye-bye. night and a great day tomorrow. Take care. You as well. Bye bye. Seven one four five four five two zero seven one. Patricia will be here for ten minutes before she goes off to bed. And Eight minutes. John, Larry, and I are holding on the fort. So yes, you are. So Larry, yes, John, are. how was your Christmas day? Give us how how did it all go out with you guys? It it went pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did a lot of coughing today, so I wasn't terrifically well. I don't know what happened. Who knows? You know, sometimes they come back. You have you get sick and it goes away and then it comes back again, and I think that happened because it happened with a lot of friends of mine as well. Uh, so I was um, I was tired towards the end, but Christmas went well. It was lots of fun seeing my family again, playing with my nieces and nephews, etc. And uh, it was good, lots of fun, and uh, came home and. We uh, cut up a ham that we got from Frank and Bobby, and uh, that got put away, and food got put away, and the thing that didn't happen while I was sick is that I tried to use my thermometer. I have two of them, and both of them had batteries that died. So I was never able to use it, although I don't think I I had anything but a low-grade fever at one point. Um, and I still can't get the new batteries to work. So I'm going to go look around tomorrow and check out buying a new one. Because, yeah, because John doesn't know where his is. And so, uh, you know, when you need him, you need him. You, know, you don't need him that often, but when you need him, you need him. So uh, I'm going to go buy a new one tomorrow. Oh, you're good. You're really So, good. yeah, so it was good. It was uh, lots of fun. And we just got back and... Uh, or you could just walk out and go next door and say, hey, do I look like I got a fever? I can't afford a thermometer. <laughs> this is true. And just, would you touch my head and make sure it's okay? <laughs> yeah. Walden, I have a question for you before I go. Yes. And it has nothing to do with Christmas. I was looking out for Christmas candy. And attached to the candy canes, I found that when Ronald Reagan was inaugurated, it was the Jelly Belly Company mm-hmm. shipped... Red, white, and blue jelly beans. How how much did they weigh? Not individual, but the aggregate. How how much did they send in weight? To, to the White House or to Ronald Reagan? To that... to the White House to, for the inauguration. Yeah. Okay. A hundred pounds would be my guess. You guys want to take a chance, Larry, John? I I would say five hundred pounds. I think it was some stupid. Incredible number. It was. Three and a half tons. <laughs> wow. Oh, my God. I would never have guessed that. I mean, how many people could eat through three and a half tons? Wow. Of that had to have lasted all eight years. How many bellies, <laughs> how many bellies were in a ton? I mean, my goodness. They did not say. I don't know what the head count was on the jelly. My memory is he always had them available at cabinet meetings for years. Mm-hmm. 
Yes, yes, he had a jar on his desk and in the cabinet room. Well, well at three and a half tons or ten tons or whatever it was, you could afford to. Three and a half tons. I don't know. How tons. long do jelly beans last? I don't know. They get stale after a short time. So they might still be, be there. He must have gone through them like a beaver in a dam. Yeah. Wow. Maybe the yeah. library still has them available when we go to the library next year. <laughs> there you go. But they were jelly bellies, yes. I've never yes, been yes, to that yes. library. I should do that. Yeah, we, I've gone to once. I'm going again. But what one thing they now have is Air Force One. There. Yes, yeah, I, I know. And uh, mm-hmm. so we're, we're planning to go. We, we we went to the next library and took the tour this year. And one of the things they had is Marine One, the helicopter. And it's the right. same one that Nixon and Kennedy all. And I was surprised how small it was. Mm-hmm. It, it held about six to seven to eight people. And it, it, I was really surprised. I, I thought it'd be it's bigger. only a helicopter, is it? Yeah, it, you know they change. You know, I think they change it out, but they still call it whoever the president is still Marine One or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know. Hello there, you're on with John, Larry, and Patricia. Hello, you three. How are you? Hi, Celeste. Hi, Silver, Celeste. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas, how are you? I'm okay. How are you feeling, Patricia? You sound so working. Oh, thank you. I am doing well. Thank you. Very good, yes. Well, I won't keep you, but I want to let all of you know I've made a New Year's resolution. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. This is a big one. What is it? I won't abuse the Lone Ranger anymore. <laughs> oh, Why? I'm through with it. That's it. <laughs> anyway, I just called. I didn't. Called I didn't know you were brown. Yeah, I, I didn't know that. What happened? What did I miss? Well, anytime the holiday comes on and we decide to play a Lone Ranger, so I still give us a call and, and remind us that it's, it is Memorial Day or it is Fourth of July. <laughs> Whatever, so. Every time it was a real patriotic Halloween, they would have they would play the uh, series of the Lone Ranger, and I didn't quite think it was fitting for Memorial Day. Anyway, we won't do that anymore. You guys, point. Oh. I'm sure you'll never do it again. <laughs> Just remember your resolution. <laughs> That's right. And I was giving them a green light here. Uh, from the Johnson Space Center down near Houston, they are going to send a launch so people can walk on the moon again. Oh, my goodness. Is this the private company that's doing this? No, I don't think so. No, the Johnson Space Center is, is uh, belongs to the United States. Is yeah, oh, it does, yeah. Oh, who, do you have a who is sending it? I thought you just said... Plain vanilla going to the moon. No, no, no. It's it, it's going to be manned, and it's going to be, I guess, sent from. I might have read it wrong. Could be wrong, but I think it's going to blast off from the Johnson Space Center. Mm-hmm. I could yeah. be wrong about that. Yeah, I, there is a company. Oh gosh, who's the uh, Virgin? I, the guy who owns yeah. Virgin. I can't L. remember. Yeah. Um, they've been working on space travel. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the ticket 
tickets are only $20 million apiece. Oh, well, let's hope. Take a ride tomorrow. Have and and I, would, I would like a guarantee, you know, something like better than 50-50 that I'm going to come back. A little bit better odds than that. For $29 million, you would think there would be some insurance involved, wouldn't you? Well, I would want to yeah, know. But if I died, nobody's, I don't care. I don't care who see, gets it. I'm not going to be around. But, see, I would want to I, I would want to know, do we get food service? I mean, you know, I mean, my God, now they only get press books or something. <laughs> yes, yes. Kang in the tube. You bet. Right. Well, I know other people will be wanting to wish you a, a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to come. And I hope that for everyone, that everyone feels well. John, were you sick? It's Larry. Larry's, Larry's sick. Larry, were you sick? Yeah. <laughs> for the last uh, week or so, yes, it's Google yeah. Monday. You had what? I said for the last week or so since last Monday. Oh, my word, a cold? Oh, yeah. Oh, I can. Oh, yeah. Well, I hope I hope you feel better soon, hon. I hope so, too, yeah. yeah. This is getting old. Yeah. Well, let me say goodbye so other people can call in for the holidays. Thank you, Celeste. Does this mean we can't, say, we can't say hi-ho, Silver, Celeste anymore? Huh? Does this mean we can't say hi-ho, Silver, Celeste anymore? Hi-ho, Tonto. Now, from your side, see, you can do that. <laughs> I won't initiate it anymore. You guys have to initiate it. <laughs> and then you'll jump in. Good for you. I think we can handle that. If they started, yeah. I'll have to jump in again. Yes, yes, sure. yes. <laughs> uh, okay, everybody. Talk to you next year. Okay, so uh, we'll Merry you. Christmas Thank and you. Happy New Year. Uh, Merry Christmas, Celeste. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, everybody. We're going to move to the blue now. And then that way, we'll, you can hear it from this point on, from the blue. So stand by. And we're back. And I think Patricia's going to get ready to go up to bed. So, Patricia, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Okay. I do have a presidential question for you, though. Please do. Which president frequently started his day with a Milky Way for breakfast? Well, let's see, you can't, he, he probably didn't sing the song, Sometimes I Feel Like a Nut and Sometimes I Don't. That's a different candy bar. Um, <laughs> he would have qualified, though, wouldn't uh, he? Milky Way. Hmm. My, guess Milky would be Way. Bill, my guess would be Bill Clinton. No. Larry? Obama. Obama? No. John? E- either one of them could have. One more. John's not in the room. Okay. Forget John. Uh, okay. How about Richard Nixon? Uh, you are on target, sir. Really? How did you come up with him? I, yeah. I well, I, I figure Rich, I mean, the Milky Way is sort of a recent candy bar over the last right. thirty years. That'd be the yeah, well, I don't even know when it was when it was first manufactured, but it couldn't have been that long ago. No. Oh, I don't know. Just a minute. We've got to do something here. I, I mean, I always think of the Milky Way sort of part of outer space and sort of the space program and stuff like that there. So I guess it would be in the last, from the 50s or 60s on, would be my guess. That's, but Well, let us see here. Milky Way. The Milky Way bar was created in 1923. Really? Oh, my gosh. 
Shows you what I know. A lot of presidents in there, yeah. Yeah. I knew it was around for quite a while, but I didn't realize this long. So, 1923 by Frank C. Mars. Wow, the Mars Bars. The Mars Bars, you bet. You bet. Okay, now is my time. All right, Patricia, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Okay, Merry Christmas, guys. Have a good evening. Merry Christmas. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Right. Seems to me that also Stan Freeberg talked about the Mars bars and the Milky Way bars in the same commercial. Ah, so, okay, that makes sense. I mean, he did it in the you know sixties or seventies. Did but he? Still, did he do other commercial than the one that we the one or two we have? He probably did. Yeah, he probably did a whole there are lot more. of them. Yeah. yeah, but I don't think we have them. So. Hmm. Well, what would you like to do? You want to take some more calls? You want we'll to play keep, some more we'll, shows? We'll, 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 we'll take some calls for a couple yeah. of minutes, and then we'll get into some Christmas shows and things like that 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 we have played. Yeah. And, and so what did you get for Christmas? Did you already talk about that? Uh, nothing in great detail. We got a lot of food this year. You know, yeah. We had my aunt and uncle, so we really got into the honey baked ham. Oh, and, good. Yeah. So... And then uh, Tootsie Roll sent to me from Jonathan Millen and Dan sent and balls yep. and yep. and pe- the neighborhood drop a bunch of cookies and cheese candies and all sorts of stuff and then cool then I got my request uh, I got the Amazon Echo and mm-hmm. so I got to download uh, Alexa's app either for a smartphone or an iPod I don't know if I can do it on a computer to help op- open it and then put I it think in- you can. And then put in our Wi-Fi information inside it. And then it'll work. There's two. It's circular. It sort of reminds me like a, a modern microphone. It's like a circular tube. And mm-hmm. there's two buttons. There's like a, a on-off button or, or a switch button and then one for the microphone. And that's it. And so, anyway, it'll be interesting to get the thing up and running this week. So that's... Yeah. That's where we'll see what happens. So... So what about you guys? You guys get gift cards or some clothes, anything in particular? Uh, it's funny. The tenor in our quartet, we got both he and his wife, or I did, gift certificates to Outback. Ooh. And he opened up his present, and then he texted me this afternoon and said, he said, let me know when you've opened your present from us. How funny. So I opened up the present from him, mm-hmm. and it was a gift certificate to Fleming's. Ah. Fleming's is a very nice yeah. restaurant yeah. in L.A., but I didn't know at the time that Flem- the company that owns Fleming's also owns several other restaurants, including Outback. Oh. So without knowing it, we each got each other, <laughs> in essence, the same, same certificate. Thing. Yeah. So we are going to go at some point for our birthday mm-hmm. to Fleming's. There are only two that I know of here. One in Los Angeles County in Los Angeles. Okay. And the other one down by Irvine uh, by the airport. We have a thing called Restaurant Row in Irvine, everybody. A lot of, yeah. a lot of famous restaurants have moved into one area. Um, and so that's... That's, that's where, that'd be my guess where the Irvine yeah. location would probably That's probably be. right. I haven't looked it up. Yeah. 
but I keep hearing about it because a lot of people tell us how good it is. But I've been to Outback, Outback many times, mm -hmm. but I've never been to Fleming's. Oh, guys, well, I'm trying to think of there's that steakhouse from Chicago. Um, I'm, I'm drawing a blank what their name is. Too. Oh, Harry Carey's. Uh, I, think, I think Harry Carey's Mort is Morton's, Morton's Steakhouse? Morton's, yeah. Morton's is national. Yeah, they're all over. They're all over there. And, but, too. but I think they, they came out of Chicago. Um, yeah, they did. Yes, they did. And they're very good. They are. Uh, Ruth Chris was based out of Louisiana. They're national. Mm -hmm. Um... The uh, all of these steakhouses are all a cart, as the Stubricks. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think of the uh, Lowry's. Lowry's. There's a fa the, the famous one. Lowry's is in L.A. Everybody, but the Lowry's own, Beef Bowl. They no. own they own several chains. For example, they're the one that own Five Crown in Cold Bar. Oh, the Five Crowns, I love. Yeah, Five Crown. My brother love. My brother loved that. That's sort of. When we do a special occasion, if my brother gets to choose the meal, that's the place we we go to for mm -hmm. him. Um, and that's generally known for prime rib. And Lowry's Beat Bowl used to be the spot where the, the Rose Bowl team and their opponent would go, and they they had a they had an agreement where they you could eat as, eat as much as you wanted to see who ate the most. Uh, and they have since stopped that, so they're not doing that anymore. I understand. That, I think they must have three times because I heard a, little, a radio spot saying this is the 72nd time they've done it. They're going to do it. So I wonder if they restarted the tradition. Uh, well, maybe they did. You know, maybe they quit and they maybe they had <laughs> maybe they had a protest about it, you know. <laughs> and you know, big football players can put away a lot of meat, that's oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I mean, my gosh, you, you could probably each of them. Oh, I just heard an interesting story, everybody. They were talking about uh, a football player from Tampa Bay over the weekend. Tampa Bay played in a game, and so he took his buddy out to Applebee's. And the bill for a bunch of football was $256, which is a lot of food at Applebee's. Yeah, um, true. He, he left. He used his gift card. He had a ten dollar gift card, so so he they used the gift card with Applebee for corporate, and he gave the waitress a thousand dollars gift. Wow! So can you imagine going ahead and using your gift card for for the corporate, <laughs> but still getting the waitress a grand as a gift for uh, for taking care of all the football players that showed up this weekend? So She'll that, always remember that night. I would say so. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, here's what thing I was going to ESPN. They were talking about good tipping. And I don't know. These guys were thought a really good tip nowadays is 30%. And I got thinking, wow. You know, I remember I remember with, you know, a really good tip years ago with 15% and standard with 10. So, but. Yeah, I, I usually do about 20 if it's if they're a good good uh, restaurant, a good waitress. It really if they're not, yeah. I don't. You think it's an insult? I know some people, uh, they, if they get really bad, they'll leave a penny as a tip. I don't know if that, to me, that's almost an insult to do that. I, I don't Yeah, know. I mean, back when we had that problem with the restaurant after one of the conventions, you know, I think I left a couple of bucks, but uh -huh. I was not about to leave my normal tip because they were, they were not good. You know, but it's just, you know, it's so hard, I think, 
we were talking, my mom and I were talking here not too long ago. It's really hard to be a, a good waiter or waitress considering you're on the floor. And if you got short, see a lot, a lot of restaurants are, are seem to be short-handed. So the waiting team are running around handling more than one section nowadays, it seems like. And, you know, that's, that's management for you. You know, trying to... Yeah, yeah. But They're trying to basically do what they can on as little payment as possible. I guess so. And they're probably looking at it. There's so much, de- sometimes there's dead, dead period during the day. So why have a lot of staff on a certain hours during the day when you know there's very few people going to be in there? Mm-hmm. Sure. And they're probably looking at that to, to cover. So have you decided, John, what you're going to do with the computer? Are you going to work with John tomorrow? Or are you going to try to get trying to get it to fix or what, what oh I'm going to call Microsoft I've already backed everything up okay so I'm going to call Microsoft and tell them my theory and see if they will go along with it I don't see what choice they have because we've tried everything else and uh, uh, you know we got to get it working so have you, have you thought and about, I think this will work have you thought about eventually taking the computer back and get, get a new computer well it's not the computer because everything was working fine before the latest update. Okay. And it, nothing happened. I mean, everything was fine until we had to remove all of the shared components along with with JAWS and and the other open book program. And that's that's and before that everything was fine. So I really think that there's something that didn't go correct, didn't go right in the uh, in the update for the latest Windows version uh, because. Although some people are having similar problems, their problems are fixed based on the normal, uh, normal things that they do. So I, I the only thing that would explain it is a problem with the initial installation. And if that's, you know, we might as well test it. Let's find out. I noticed with the current Microsoft update I have, seeing my more of my windows are open. I have to see, physically go close more windows than I used to. You know, when I want just work on certain programs instead of having mm-hmm. things open. Yeah. Yeah, that seemed to be the way. And, and you're probably fine because you've never had to remove all your shared components. No, no. And, and whether that would be a problem for you, I don't know. It just you know, it may it, it, this may be a fluke thing. I, I don't know, mm-hmm. but uh, I need to get it fixed. So they should certainly be willing to help me test my theory, and so we'll see what happens. So will you probably try to remove the update? Is that what you're thinking? What, what's your idea on that? Well, what I would like to do is first of all see if they can do a repair. Okay on the latest Windows update to see if that fixes it. And, you know, so do a repair and then then install JAWS and, and open book again. If that doesn't work, see if they can take me back to the previous Windows 10 in the spring uh, and then try it again because okay. I know it worked there. Uh, but, see, I can't take myself back there because once you go to the new fall update, you only have 10 days to go back, so Ooh. I can't go back, but but they should be able to take me back. Okay. So we'll see what happens. We should know. Yeah, yeah. Sure. And then, of course, mm-hmm. for those who don't know, Microsoft allowed those people who are using screen readers to update from Windows 7 to Windows 10 for free, but that ends on December 31st, so Larry and I have helped a couple of other friends update and I have one more that I know of that we're going to do mm-hmm. on Thursday. And all that really means is we walk through it with them and because they don't know exactly what to look for. Mm-hmm. And there are some 
times when when there's no speech. So I'm going to help somebody on Thursday get herself updated because the offer is no longer a free offer after Sunday. I don't know. So current, some of the stuff updating on the computer, the, the, the computer go quiet. And so I had, when that happened, I had my mom walk in and said, I'll do an update. You know, and that, that's what happens sometimes. Well, in, in those times when you don't have a screen reader available, uh, you can now use Narrator because Narrator, they've, they've built it so that it will give you speech. Mm-hmm. So that comes in very handy. Yeah. You just have to know the uh, keystroke to turn Narrator on, on the fly. You can turn it off and on. Right. On, on the fly. So I've used it already. It's, it. The Microsoft has come a long way and made made their stuff very, very accessible recently. Now, it's not as good as a regular screen reader, but at least you can get around and do what you need to do until you get your screen reader back. I'm also been impressed with Amazon. They, they now have a uh, disability hotline. So when I'm having yes, they is, do. when I have issues with Amazon in terms of trying to place an order or something, they will walk me through it or help me fix things. Yeah, and they're very good. They're Amazon very good. is very good. Uh, Google is a lot better now. And, of course, uh, uh, Microsoft. Those three in particular have really come a long way. Years ago, they used to see, at, at like the CSUN technology conferences, you'd see maybe a couple of people there from each organization. Last year, they had 70 from each organization. And that shows you how seriously they take accessibility now. And they're doing their best to not only talk about what they've made accessible, but they also get together and and ask people now what do you think what how is it what what can do can we do to make it better so they have forums and, and get input from people right there at the conference and uh, I'll tell you that really helps a lot and uh, it makes things so much easier when three of the major players are building what they build into a system with accessibility in mind what about Apple? Where are they? Where are they in terms of the, of, of the curve? Oh, they're right there with them. I uh-huh. mean, I think Apple was the company that really got it started because of everything they did with the iDevices. And when they, when other companies saw what Apple was doing, they said, you know, we should be doing that too. Mm-hmm. Apple is very good. They have been for many, many years. Uh, every for those that don't know, every single Apple device, starting back, I think with the iPhone. 3S or 4S, and, those, and, and I'm not sure what the iPad numbers were or the iPod numbers at that time, but every single device from that time on has had a the screen reader that we used, uh, VoiceOver, built into that device. Now, it's disabled, so you'd have to turn it on if you wanted to play with it, but you could, and that means literally that if, if I walked up to a, a store with an iPhone in it, I could turn uh, VoiceOver on and use it. So, we need to get you uh, mm-hmm. started, too. Yep. Once you get started, Walden, you would love it. Oh, yeah. I, you I, have, I know. You have so much control and so much independence. Yep. No matter where you are, away from home, yep. it is absolutely wonderful. I'm looking forward to doing it once I make the big financial commitment to take that on. So, it definitely... Uh... Well, that much of a financial commitment, really. Yeah, I just look at the. Well, I'm looking at what we're paying the, the monthly charge for all our devices. You know, around three hundred bucks a month. Do I want to spend another thirty to forty, fifty bucks right now? 
to do that. You know? But you've got an iPad, right? Oh, yeah, I got an iPad, and I got no... Well, no. Okay. that'll work. Yeah. yeah. All you have to do is learn how to use it. True. It's true. I mean, there's no financial involvement, really. No, just, what, just adding another device into the package would be the only thing, you know, I have to add in, into my family plan. Uh, well, every every plan I have is that it's based upon how another device you added to the package. So yeah, that's what I'm looking and, at. And sometimes you can talk to your phone company; they might not even charge you if you've already got a, you know one or two phones added in. What's one more? You know, they might include it under the umbrella. I don't. You know, you have to yeah, check. yeah. Right now I got three on one, three on one, and three phone lines. So I got six lines I pay for. So oh, okay. So, yeah. So that's what I'm looking at. Oh, well, I guess we'll play a Christmas show, and uh, we'll take care of that. So, we'll see if John and Lori are back in our, we haven't played a Christmas show yet this year, so I would like to do that, the famous Campbell Playhouse one, with uh, Brian Barrymore and Orson Welles, and so, we'll be back, at least I will be back in an hour, and we'll see if John and Lori are still awake, so. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. So, with that. Flip the CD player over, and this is the classic version. I agree. I mean, I don't know if there's any other better, better Christmas kill than this one, really. I don't think there is, the, the ones I've heard so far. So, so we'll be back December 24th, 
For you see, in homes everywhere throughout the land, Campbell's soups have been welcomed. Day by day and week by week, you have placed confidence in us and in the foods we make. And there isn't anything we appreciate more deeply than the fact that so many of you have elected to let Campbell's make your soups for you. And so when Christmas comes, we look about to find some way to show our appreciation, some Christmas present by which to say thank you. The gift we chose five Christmases ago and have chosen each year since has become a part of Christmas to many and many a family. It has become a Christmas custom to gather around the radio to hear and to enjoy a Christmas carol. And since it is Christmas Eve, we hope, too, that the younger members of the family are permitted to stay up and listen before dreams and visit of Santa. We get a great deal of pleasure planning and preparing this Christmas gift, and now it's ready. Off come the wrappings, off come the tags that say, please do not open till Christmas. Out comes the card, to you from Campbell's. And here is the gift itself. dead to begin with. There's no doubt whatever about that. The register of his burial was signed by the clergyman, the clerk, the undertaker, and the chief mourner. Scrooge signed it. And Scrooge's name was good upon change for anything he chose to put his hand to. Old Marley was as dead as a doornail. Scrooge knew he was dead? Of course he did. Scrooge and Marley were partners for I don't know how many years. Oh, but he was a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone with Scrooge. A squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. Once upon a time, of all the good days in the year, on Christmas Eve, old Scrooge sat busy in his counting house, a grim, cheerless place if ever there was one. The door of Scrooge's counting house was open. That he might keep his eye upon his clerk, Bob Cratchit, who in a cold and dismal little cell beyond, worked at his ledgers. 11, 13, 17, 7, carry one. Power and save Bob Cratchit. Yes, Mr. Scrooge. Stop that infernal caterwauling. Yes, sir. 9, 15, 17, 29, carry one. Impudence. Singing their idiotic Christmas carols at my very door. Go somewhere else and fellow your blasted carols, or I'll give you in charge. Yes, and I don't want any of your old customs. Take your fellow fools and go away. Christmas. Blah. Right, sir. Merry Christmas anyway, sir. Merry Christmas, Uncle. Merry Christmas, Bob. Merry Christmas, Mr. Fred. God save you, Uncle. Ah, humbug. Christmas a humbug, Uncle? No, I'm sure you don't mean that. I mean just that. Exactly that. Merry Christmas. 
What right have you to be merry? What, what reason have you? You're poor enough. Well, what right have you to be dismal about Christmas, Uncle? You're rich enough. Ah, now, Uncle, don't be cross. Well, what else can I be when I live in such a world of fools? What's Christmas to you but a time for paying bills without money? Merry Christmas. A time for finding yourself a year older and not an hour richer. If I could work my will, every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips would be boiled with his own pudding and buried with a stake of holly through his heart. He should. Uncle? Nephew? Keep your Christmas in your own way and let me keep it in mine. Keep it, but you don't keep it, Uncle. Well, let me leave it alone, then. What do you want? A Christmas gift, I've no doubt. I came to wish you a Merry Christmas, Uncle. A Merry Christmas. Much good may Christmas do you. Much good it ever has done you. There are many things from which I derive good by which I have not profited materially, I dare say, Uncle. Christmas among the rest. But I have always thought of Christmas time as a good time. A kind, forgiving, charitable, pleasant time. And therefore, Uncle, though it has never put a scrap of gold or silver in my pocket... I believe it has done me good and will do me good. And I say, God bless it. God bless Christmas. Hurrah! Let me hear another sound out of you there, Bob Cratchit, and you'll keep your Christmas by losing your situation. As to you, nephew, I wonder you don't go into Parliament. You talk enough nonsense. Don't be angry, Uncle. I want nothing from you. I ask nothing of you. Why can't we be friends? Good afternoon. Well, I'm sorry you feel that way. I've tried. A Merry Christmas to you, Uncle. Good afternoon. And a Happy New Year, too. Ah, humbug. And a Merry Christmas to you, Bob and the missus, and to Tiny Tim. Thank you, Mr. Fred. Same to you, sir. Good day, sir. Good day, Bob. Nonsense. Twaddle. Blummery. Talking of Christmas and not two sixpences to jingle together in his trousers' pocket. You there, Bob Cratchit. Come here. What are you doing there? I was only putting a bit more coal on the fire, Mr. Scrooge, seeing it's so cold in there, sir. Well, you put that coal back into the scuttle. A fire! A fire, indeed. I can tell you, if you use coal at that rate, you and I will soon be parting company, Bob Cratchit. You understand that? There's many a young fellow like your situation, you know. Oh, I'm sorry, sir. My fingers were getting a little stiff with the cold. Then put on your mittens. There's someone at the door. See who it is. Yes, sir. Good afternoon, sir. Good afternoon. This is the firm of Scrooge and Marley. Yes, sir. I should like to see the head of the firm, if I may. Oh, very good, sir. What is it? A gentleman to see you, Mr. Scrooge. Huh? Have I the pleasure of addressing Mr. Scrooge or Mr. Marley? Marley's been dead these seven years tonight. I'm Scrooge. Well, now, Mr. Scrooge, at this season of the year, it's only fitting that we who are more fortunate should raise a fund to buy the poor some meat and drink and means of warmth. You may not believe it, sir, but many thousands are now in want of common necessities. And hundreds of thousands are in want of the simplest comfort, sir. Uh, are there no prisoners? There are plenty of prisons, sir. And the workhouses? They're still in operation, I trust. I wish I could say they are not, but they are, sir. The treadmill and the poor law are in full vigor, then? Both very busy, sir. Oh, well, I'm very glad to hear that. I was afraid from what you said at first that something had occurred to stop them in their useful cause. No, sir, all these institutions that you mention are flourishing. But it's nevertheless true that some additional provision for the poor and the destitute must be made. Nah. 
A few of us upon change are endeavoring to raise such a fund, you see. And what shall I put you down for? Nothing. Oh, I see. You wish to be anonymous, sir. I wish to be let alone. I don't make merry myself at Christmas time, and I can't afford to keep a lot of idle people and make them merry. I help support the establishments that take care of the poor. They cost enough. Let those who are badly off go there. Many can't go there, sir. And many would rather die. Well, then, my advice to them is to do so and decrease the surplus population. Besides, I've only your word for it that all this is so. It's the truth, Mr. Scrooge. Well, so be it, then. It's not my business. It's enough for a man to understand his own business and not to interfere with other people's. Mine occupies me constantly. Good afternoon, sir. I quite understand, Mr. Scrooge. Cratchit, show this gentleman out. Yes, sir. This way, please. Sir, I couldn't help overhearing. I should like to contribute threepence. Cratchit! Yes, sir. It isn't much, but it's all I can afford, but... There are others in worse situation than I. You're a generous fellow. I wish I might say so of your employer. Thank you. Yes, sir. Good afternoon, sir. Uh, good afternoon. Merry Christmas. Uh, Merry Christmas. Yes, sir. Merry Christmas. Close the door. Yes, sir. I have closed it, sir. 24, 31, 1 and carry 3. A new scarlet tippet for Tiny Tim. And a comb for Martha. 33, 3 and carry 3. Hair ribbon for Belinda. Four, seven, twelve, fifteen. I suppose you want the entire day tomorrow. If it's quite convenient, sir. It's not convenient and it's not fair. But I suppose I can't do anything about it. If I was to stop half a crown of your wages, you'd think yourself very ill-used. I'll be bound. Well, sir, I... And yet you don't think me ill-used when I pay a day's wages for no work? It's only once a year, sir. Once a year. Once a year, indeed. A fine excuse for picking a man's pocket every 25th of December. But I suppose it's no good talking. You must have the whole day. Well, see that you're here all the earlier the next morning. You understand? Oh, I will, sir. I will, sir, indeed. Good night, sir, and Merry Christmas. Ah. Merry Christmas! Ah. The office was closed in a twinkling, and Bob Cratchit, with the long ends of his white comforter dangling below his waist, for he boasted no great coat, went down a slide on Corn Hill twenty times in honor of its being Christmas Eve, and then ran home to Camden Town as hard as he could pelt to play with his family at Blind Man's Buff. Scrooge, on the other hand, took his melancholy dinner in his usual melancholy tavern. Having read all the newspapers and spent the rest of the evening with his banker's book, went to his dismal house. Darkness is cheap and Scrooge likes it. The yard was so dark that even Scrooge, who knew its every stone, had to grope with his hands through the fog and the frost to find the door. Scrooge walked through his rooms to see that all was right. Sitting room, bedroom... Lumber room, all as they should be. Nobody under the table, nobody under the sofa. Nobody under the bed, nobody in the closet. Closed the door, locked himself in, double locked himself in. And 
took off his cravat, put on his dressing gown and slippers and his nightcap, and sat down before the fire to take his gruel. <laughs> Marley! 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 I could have sworn I saw... Oh, ah, humbug. Marley's been dead these seven years. Humbug. It's all humbug. What I need is a good night. What's, what's that? Someone's in the pine cellar. That's a door lock and double locked. Something's... It's, it's coming. Something is... It's coming closer. Outside my door. Ah, I won't believe it. It's humbug still. Ebenezer Scrooge. <laughs> Ebenezer Scrooge. Oh, no. What do you want with me? I want much of you, Ebenezer. Who are you? Ask me who I was. Well, you're very particular for a ghost. All right. Who were you, then? In life, I was your partner, Jacob Marley. Jacob Marley, but you're dead. You died seven years ago. Seven years ago this very night. You are a ghost then? What's wrong, Ebenezer? Don't you believe in me? I do not. You doubt your senses, Ebenezer? Yes, because a little thing affects them. A slight disorder of the stomach makes them cheats. You can't be a ghost. You, you may be an undigested bit of beef, a blot of mustard, a crumb of cheese, a fragment of an underdone potato. <laughs> there may be more gravy than grave about you, whatever you are. <laughs> humbug, I tell you. Humbug. <laughs> Excuse me, Peter. Excuse me. I do believe in you. You are a ghost, Jacob. Thank you. But what? Why do you walk the earth, Jacob? Why do you come to me? It is required of every man that the spirit within him should walk abroad among his fellow men and travel far and wide to witness what it cannot share but might have shared on earth and turn to happiness. Oh, tell me, Jacob... What is that chain you wear around you? I wear the chain I forged in life. I made it link by link and yard by yard by my own free will. Is its pattern strange to you, Ebenezer? Cash boxes, keys, padlocks, ledgers, purses. Yours was as heavy and as long as this seven years ago. And you have labored on it since, Ebenezer. Oh, Jacob, speak comfort to me. Comfort I have none to give. I cannot rest. I cannot stay. I cannot linger. Weary journeys lie before me. You travel fast? Yes, Ebenezer. On the wings of the wind. Seven years dead and traveling all the time? Seven years, Ebenezer. Seven years of remorse. 
Ebenezer, do you know that no space of regret can make amends for one life's opportunities misused? But you were always a good man of business, Jacob. Business? Mankind was my business. Charity, mercy, benevolence, they were all my business. The dealings of my trade were but a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my business. Oh, Jacob, don't take on so. Jacob. Listen to me, Ebenezer. I'll listen to you, Jacob. Go on, Jacob, speak to me. But don't be so flowery. Ebenezer, I am here to warn you that you have yet a chance and hope of escaping my fate. Do you hear that, Ebenezer? Yes, Jacob. You always were a good friend to me, Jacob. Thank you, Jacob. But go on. Go on. Go on. How shall I escape? Oh, I'm, I'm afraid, Jacob. You will be haunted by three spirits. Is that the only chance and hope, Jacob? It is your only chance and hope. Well, then I think I'd rather not. Without their visits, you cannot hope to shun the path I tread. Expect the first tomorrow. When the bell tolls one. Couldn't I take them all at once and have it over, Jacob? Ebenezer, look that for your own sake you remember what has passed between us. And remember, when the bell tolls one, look for the first spirit. Molly. Jacob Molly. <laughs> lying on his bed fully dressed. Suddenly the curtains of his bed were drawn aside. Scrooge found himself face to face with the unearthly visitor who drew them. As close to it as I am now to you. And I am standing in the spirit at your elbow. It was a strange figure. Like a child. Yet not so like a child as like an old man. Scrooge. <gasps> who? Who is that? Ebenezer Scrooge, I have come for you. You... You are the spirit, sir, whose coming was foretold me? I am that spirit. Who, who, what are you? I am the ghost of Christmas past. Long past? No, your past. But oh, what do you want of me? What brings you here to haunt me? Your welfare, Ebenezer Scrooge. Rise and walk with me. Oh, no, 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 you're not out of the window. I can't do that. I'll fall down. I'm not a spirit. I'm mortal. I'll fall. Bear but a touch of my hand upon your heart, and you shall be upheld in more than this. Come, follow me. What's become of the city? And there's snow upon the ground. Where are we? These are the shadows of the things that have been. You recognize this countryside? <gasps> oh, I know every inch of it. Every rock, every tree. And that bleak building over there? Ah, uh, that building. I was a boy there. Yes, 
I went to school in that horrible place. Do you recollect that path? I could walk it blindfold. Strange you forgot it so many years. Come, let us go closer. Look through the window into that cold, barren room. What do you see, Ebenezer Scrooge? I see a boy. A solitary child, neglected by his family, alone. Yes, yes, I see. I know that boy. Oh, I was so lonely. Poor boy. Your lip is trembling, Scrooge. And what is that on your cheek? It's nothing, nothing, nothing at all. I wish I... Uh, it's too late for that now. What's the matter? Nothing, nothing. The waits came to my door singing Christmas carols last night. There was a boy like that among them. A poor, thin, pale boy in a ragged coat. I'd like to have given him something. Is that all? Come, Ebenezer Scrooge. Let us see another Christmas. Do you know this place, Ebenezer Scrooge? Know it? Know it? Why, this is the counting house where I was apprenticed. Listen. Why, it's my old master. Bless his heart, old Fezziwig. My master, alive again. And host of one of his Christmas parties. <laughs> Listen to it. Red the and back to your places. <laughs> and there's Dick Wilkins. Poor Dick. Dear, 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 yes. And look, there's Mrs. Fezziwig herself, looking younger than any of them. And the table's all loaded with roast and cider and mince pie and beer. Oh, what a jolly time we used to have. That carefree young man with the light heart and the gay smile. Do you recognize him? Yes, yes, yes. Merciful heaven. How happy I was then. A small matter for old Fezziwig to make those silly folks so full of joy. Small matter? Small indeed. Isn't it? He has spent only a few pounds of your mortal money. Is that so much that he deserves praise? Ah, it's not that. It's not that, spirit. Old Fezziwig has the power to make us happy or unhappy, to make our service light or heavy. His power lies in words and looks in things so tiny it's impossible to count them up. The happiness he gives is quite as great as if it cost her... What is the matter? Nothing. Nothing at all, Spirit. Something, I think. No, no, Speak. no. Only, it's just that I should like to be able to say a word or two to my clerk, Bob Cratchit, just now, that's all. My time grows short, and we have yet another journey to make. Where now? Come. This is our last visit to the past Ebenezer. Here, in this little room, 
with a fair young girl by your side. Do you recognize yourself, Ebenezer? Oh, no, 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 no. Spare me this. You're older now, a man in the prime of life. Your face has begun to wear the signs of care and avarice. Your eyes are greedy. The eager, restless eyes of a miser. No, no, please. She knows it, too. That girl by your side. There are tears in her eyes. It matters little, Ebenezer, to you. Very little. I know that. Belle, have I changed towards you? When we were engaged, we were both poor. Was it better then? Better to be poor? Better at least to be happy. You're changed. You were another man then. I was a boy. Do you blame me because I've grown wiser? Have I ever tried to break our engagement? In words, no. Never. In, in what then? In a changed nature. In an altered spirit. In everything that made my love of any value in your sight. So I release you from your promise. Belle. Oh, at first it may cause you pain to lose me. A very brief pain. But soon it will be dim, like a half-remembered dream. An unprofitable dream. And you will be glad to be awake from such a dream. May you be happy in the life you have chosen, Ebenezer. For the love of him you want. Spirit, it's enough. Show me no more. Take me home. These were shadows of the things that have been. That they are what they are. Do not blame me. No more. No more. One shadow more. Come. Do you see this man, Ebenezer Scrooge? This man might have been you. And the woman beside him, your wife. And that girl. That girl might have been your daughter, Ebenezer Scrooge. She might have called you father. She might have been a springtime in the haggard winter of your life. Please let me go. Show me no more. Listen now, while they speak, Ebenezer. Bill, I saw an old friend of yours today. Who was it? Yes. Oh, how can I? It's... Oh, I know. Mr. Scrooge. Mr. Scrooge it was. I passed his office window. It wasn't shuttered. And there was a candle inside, so I couldn't help seeing him. His partner, Marley, lies at the point of death, I hear. And there Scrooge sat all alone. Quite alone in the world, I do believe. Spirit, spirit, I can bear no more. Leave me. Hold me no more. Take me back. Take me back. <laughs> Listening to the Campbell Playhouse, bringing you tonight the fifth annual presentation of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, produced by Orson Welles and starring Lionel Barrymore as Scrooge. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. When the snow lay round about, deep and crisp and even, brightly shone the moon that night, though the frost was cruel. 
back to the Campbell Playhouse in the fifth annual presentation of A Christmas Carol. A Christmas present from the makers of Campbell Soups. Stroke of one, Scrooge awakened suddenly and sat him bolt upright in his own bed. He remembered the words of Marley's ghost and wondered from which direction the second specter would appear. At that moment, nothing between a baby and a rhinoceros would have astonished him very much. Now being prepared for almost anything, he was not by any means prepared for nothing. And consequently, when no shape appeared, he was taken with a violent fit of trembling. Five minutes, ten minutes, quarter of an hour went by, yet nothing came. Then as he sat in his bed, he became aware, gradually, of a great blaze of ruddy light that seemed to shine upon him from the adjoining room. He got up softly and shuffled in his slippers to the door. It was his own sitting room, there was no doubt about that. But it had undergone a surprising transformation. The walls and ceiling were so hung with living green that it looked a perfect grove. And there sat a jolly giant, glorious to see, who bore a glowing torch in shape not unlike Plenty's horn and held it up, high up, to shed its light on Scrooge as he came peeping round the corner. Come in, come in, Ebenezer Scrooge, and know me better, man. You're... I am the ghost of Christmas present. Spirit, take me where you will. Last time I went against my will and learned a lesson which is working now. If you have anything to teach me, let me profit by it. Touch my robe, Ebenezer Scrooge. Touch my robe. you brought me, spirit. To an humble dwelling in an humble street. <laughs> it's miserable enough. Yet there is happiness there. Who are these people? Who's that woman and the children? These are the family of your clerk, Bob Cratchit. See his wife dressed in a twice-turned gown, but brave in ribbons, laying the table for their Christmas dinner. And there, assisting her, is her daughter, Belinda. And the young man with the fork in the stuffing, that's Master Peter Cratchit. And the two little Cratchits, listen, Scrooge, and watch. Here's Martha, Mother. Quiet, children, quiet. Now sit you down before the fire, Martha, and have a warm, Lord bless you. Where's Father? He's been to church with Tiny Tim. They'll be along directly. How is Tiny Tim, Mother? Any better at all? Sometimes I think he is. And sometimes I think... Oh, dear God, if anything should happen to Tiny Tim. Oh, Mother, you mustn't even Here think of such a thing. Oh, oh, yes, oh, Jim? Well, don't you see? Because I'm lame. And if they saw my crutch, it might be pleasant for them to remember on Christmas who it was made lame beggars walk and blind men see. 
Bless you, my son. Are we ready to eat, Mother? Oh, oh, come yes, on, yes, children, we're all ready. Come, come, take your places and wait your turn. There's plenty of stuffing and dressing and plum pudding for all of you. Martha, take care of Tiny Tim and see that he eats plenty. Yes, he must Mother. get strong and well. Now sit down, everyone. Yes, come on, Tiny Tim. And now, my dears. I see a vacant seat in the poor chimney corner. And a crutch without an owner, carefully preserved. No, 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 kind spirit. Say he'll be spared. Say he'll live. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, Ebenezer, the child will die. And to praise thy name. Amen. Amen. And now, my dears, with such a dinner, a toast, a Merry Christmas to us all, and God bless us. God bless us, everyone. And now to Mr. Scrooge. I'll give you a toast to Mr. Scrooge, the founder of the feast. The founder of the feast, indeed, who pays you all of 15 shillings a week. I wish I had him here. I'd give him a piece of my mind to feast on, and I hope he'd have good appetite oh, for it. Oh, my dear, the children, Christmas Day. It should be Christmas Day, I'm sure, on which one drinks the health of such an odious, stingy, unfeeling man as Mr. Scrooge. You know he is, Bob. Nobody knows it better than you, poor fellow. My dear Christmas Day. I'll drink his health for your sake and the day's, not for his. Long life to him. A Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. He'll be very merry and very happy, I have no doubt. And I say God bless him too, Mother, and everyone. Yes, yes. yes. There was nothing of high mark in all this. They were not a handsome family, these Cratchits. They were not well-dressed. Their shoes were far from being waterproof. Their clothes were scanty and had known, very likely, the insides of a pawnbroker's. But they were happy, grateful, pleased with one another and contented with the time. And when at last they faded, Scrooge had his eye upon them. And especially on Tiny Tim, until the last. Many calls Scrooge made that night with a ghost of Christmas present. Down among the miners they went who labor in the bowels of the earth. And out to sea among the sailors at their watch. Dark, ghostly figures in their several stations... Much they saw and far they went, and many places they visited, but always with a happy end. The spirits stood beside sick beds and they were cheerful, on foreign lands and they were close at home, by poverty and it was rich, in almshouse, hospital and jail, where vain man in his little brief authority had not made fast the door. Barred the spirit out, the spirit left his blessing. It was a long night. It was only a night. And it was strange, too, that while Scrooge remained unaltered in his outward form, the 
ghost grew older. Clearly older. My life upon this globe is very brief, Ebenezer. It ends tonight. Tonight? Tonight at midnight. Hark. The hour has come. Oh, not yet. Not yet. There are still more things I wish to learn. These you will learn from still another spirit. Still another spirit, Ebenezer. Scrooge looked about him for the ghost. It had vanished. But he found himself once more in his bed, in his dressing gown, in his nightcap. He'd heard the clock strike. And then... He remembered the prediction of old Jacob Marley. And lifting up his eyes, beheld... The third spirit. A solemn phantom... Shrouded in black, draped and hooded, coming towards him slowly and silently, like a mist along the ground. I know you. You, you are the ghost of Christmas yet to come. You'll show me the shadows of things that have not happened, but will happen in the time before us. Answer me, spirit, ghost of the future. Oh. I fear you more than any specter I've seen. Yet, as I know your purpose is to do me good, and as I hope to live to be another man from what I was, lead on. Lead on! The night is waning fast. Time is precious. Spirit, why have you brought me here again? Into Bob Cratchit's home? It's not the same. Why is it so quiet? So very quiet here. Mother. Mother, please. Oh, my son. My little son. Tell me, Tim. I loved him so. Mother, dear, you mustn't. It's almost time for Father to be home. Don't let him see you crying. Yes. Yes, Martha. He's late tonight. He walks slower than he used to. Yet I've known him to walk very fast indeed with tiny Tim on his shoulder. So have I, Mother. But he was light to carry. And his father loved him so that it was no trouble. No trouble at all. Bob. Good evening, my dear. You're late, Bob. I'm sorry, my dear. I, I went to the churchyard today. I wish you could have gone with me. It would have done your heart good to see how sweet and green a place it is. You'll see it often. I promised him. I promised Tiny Tim we'd walk there on Sunday. Oh, Father dear, it's God's will, Bob. I'm trying to understand it, my dear. My son. My little son, Tiny Tim. And I loved him so. Oh, that's cruel. Cruel. Spirit, can't you give me one ray of hope that I may change all that? That tiny Tim may live?
Where are we now? Oh, merciful heaven. Churchyard. Overrun by grass and weeds. Choked with too much burying. Desolate, lonely, crumbling gravestone. Spirit. Now, before I draw nearer to that gravestone, answer me one question. Are these the shadows of things that will be... Or are they the shadows of things that may be only? Will you not speak to me, spirit? What is that grave to which you point? <gasps> now I see. There's writing on that stone. The name on the gravestone is Ebenezer Scrooge. Ebenezer Scrooge. <gasps> oh, spirit. No, no, no. Spirit, hear me. I'm not the man I was. Why show me this? If I'm past all hope, tell me that I may change these dreadful shadows that, that have come, that you've shown me by an altered life. I'll honor Christmas in my heart and I'll try and keep it all the year. I live in the past, the present, and the future. I will not shut out the lessons that they teach. Tell me, do, spirit. Please tell me that I can sponge away the writing on that stone, spirit. I beg of you, spirit. Spirit. turkey that was hanging in the window? The one as big as me? <laughs> what a delightful boy. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Yes, my buck? It's hanging there now, sir. Oh, that's wonderful. Now go around, will you, and tell him to send it to Bob Cratchit and his family on Broad Street. And mind you, they're not to know who paid for it. Now hurry along, my lad. And here, here, Here's half a crown for your trouble. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And a Merry Christmas. <laughs> and a Merry Christmas to you, too, my boy. <sighs> oh, I don't know what to do. I'm as light as a feather, as happy as an angel. 
I'm as merry as a schoolboy. A merry Christmas. A merry Christmas to everybody. A happy new year to all the world. Next morning, Scrooge was early at his office. He went early for a reason. If he could only be there first and catch Bob Cratchit coming late, that was the thing he'd set his heart upon. And he did it. Yes, he did. The clock had struck nine. No Bob. A quarter past. No Bob. Scrooge sat with his door wide open that he might see him come in. And at last he came. His hat was off before he opened the door. His comforter, too. He was on his stool in a jiffy, driving away with his pen, as if he were trying to overtake nine o'clock. Eight and seventeen are fifteen. Carry the one twenty-four. Carry the two thirty-one. Carry the four. Eight and six are fourteen. Carry the eight. Hello, you, Cratchit. Yes, sir. Step this way, Cratchit, if you please. Cratchit, what do you mean by coming in at this time of day? Oh, I'm very sorry, sir. I'm behind my time. You are. You are. Yes, I think you are. Oh, it's only once a year, Mr. Scrooge. It, it shall not be repeated. I was I was making rather merry yesterday, sir. I, I'll tell you what, my friend. I'll not stand this sort of thing any longer. And therefore, Bob Cratchit, I'm about to raise your salary. Mr. Scrooge, are you, are you quite yourself, sir? No. No. Thank heaven I'm not quite myself. Merry Christmas, Bob. <laughs> Merry Christmas, my good fellow. A merrier Christmas than I've given you in many a year. I'll raise your salary and we'll see what we can do for Tiny Tim and the rest of your family. <laughs> we'll discuss it this very afternoon over a Christmas bowl of smoking bishop. Bob, make up the fire. Make it up and buy another coal scuttle before you dot another eye. Bob Scrooge was better than his word. He did it all, and infinitely more. To Tiny Tim, who did not die, he was a second father. He became as good a friend, as good a master, and as good a man as the good old city knew, or any other good old city, town, or borough in the good old world. Some people laughed to see the alteration in him, but he let them laugh, and little heeded them. His own heart laughed, and that was quite enough for him. He had no further intercourse with spirits, but lived upon the total abstinence principle ever afterwards, and it was always said of him that he knew how to keep Christmas well if any man alive possessed the knowledge. May that be truly said of us, all of us. And so, as Tiny Tim observed, God bless us, everyone.
have just heard our annual presentation of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, starring Lionel Barrymore, brought to you by the makers of Campbell Soups. And now here is Orson Welles. At this point in the program, ladies and gentlemen, it is my custom, as you know, to present to you with a few words of introduction our guest of the evening. With your consent, I shall dispense with this tonight to introduce tonight's guest to the Campbell Playhouse audience or to any other American audience is an extravagant and superfluous procedure. For if ever an actor has won for himself a lasting place in the hearts of his fellow countrymen through years of unsparing and inspiring service, that actor is Lionel Barrymore. Mr. Lionel Barrymore. Thank you, Orson Welles. (laughs) Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is the fourth year I've had the pleasure of appearing in the Christmas Carol here on the Campbell Playhouse. And I assure you all, it's a pleasure that never tires. As long as I can remember, this has been one of my favorite stories. When we were children, it was read to us regularly at this time of year, as it is to millions of children right now. And like many of them, I'm sure, the three of us, Ethel, Jack, and I, with the aid of a sheet and some old ironware, made a play of it. As I remember, we had three Scrooges in that production. Mr. Barrymore, who played Tiny Tim? I think we had three Tiny Tims, too. But seriously, I can think of no part that I've enjoyed playing again and again as much as I have the part of that squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner, Ebenezer Scrooge. I can think of no happier or more suitable choice for the makers of Campbell's soups to offer the people of America as their Christmas present each year than Charles Dickens' well-beloved story, Christmas Carol. Good night, Orson. Good night, everybody. And a merry, merry Christmas to you all. Good night, Mr. Barrymore. Merry Christmas to you, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, for next Sunday night, we're happy to announce our version... A great and truly American story by a great American novelist. Come and get it by Edna Ferber. Against a background of the mighty forests of Miss Ferber's own Wisconsin, it tells a stirring tale of the men and women who live and die in the woods in order that lumber may come down the rivers every spring into the cities of the modern world. Like so many of Miss Ferber's epic romances of American life, it was made from a best-selling novel into a highly successful motion picture. Now we bring it to you on the air. Story of a man and his son and the girl they both loved, Lotta, played for us by one of the loveliest and most accomplished of Hollywood's younger dramatic actresses, Miss Frances D. And so until next week, until Come and Get It with Frances D., my sponsors, the makers of Campbell Soups, and all of us on the Campbell Playhouse remain, as always, obediently yours. But just a minute, Benny, uh, Benny, ladies and gentlemen, it's the night before Christmas. And all through the Campbell Playhouse, not a creature is stirring that doesn't join Lionel Barrymore in wishing you a merry, merry Christmas. This goes for all of us, from my sponsor, from myself, from all of us, from Don McBain, who runs the machinery in the control room, to Miss Helgren, who types the Campbell Playhouse scripts. A merry Christmas from Benny Herman and his band of merry melodians, Merry Christmas. You get the idea. From Max Sayers, Torrance, uh, and uh, from Harry Esman and his crew of sound effect technicians. Thank you, and from Orson Welles and his considerable aggregation of dramatic talent, which includes, among others, Mr. Frank Reddick, Miss Georgia Backus, Miss B. Benaderet, Mr. Ray Collins, Mr. Everett Sloan, Mr. George Kaluris, 
Edgar Berrios, Can Sanford, Tommy Lane, William Allen, Betty Lou Walters, Eric Burtis, and myself and George Spelvin. A Merry Christmas. How about it, ladies and gentlemen? Merry Christmas! And finally, as Tiny Tim says... God bless us, everyone. The makers of Campbell's Soups join Orson Welles in inviting you to be with us in the Campbell Playhouse again next Sunday evening when we bring you Edna Ferber's Come and Get It with Miss Frances D. as our guest. Meanwhile, if you have enjoyed our fifth annual presentation of A Christmas Carol, won't you tell your grocer so this week when you order Campbell's Soups? This is Ernest Chappell saying thank you and a Merry Christmas to you all. Columbia Broadcasting System. And December 24, 1939, the classic Christmas Carol with Lionel Barrymore and Orson Welles. Great production. It is 10.15 here on the West Coast on a Monday night, Christmas night, December 25, year 2017. I'm Warren Hughes. You're here, Patricia, for the first little while. John Lurie joined us for part of the show when they got home from their family gathering. So, we're enjoying Christmas night. Uh, Bill and Mike are away. Mike's on vacation. And not, won't be back till sometime after January the 10th. Bill been under the weather, so he's going to take some time off over the next three weeks. So, we're going to be doing the uh, live show at 7.30, Monday through Sunday. And on Monday to Thursday, we'll switch to the blue after 9 o'clock West Coast or midnight and continue for a while. So those are my plans for us. And uh, we are going to play another classic show that most people like hearing during Christmas time. And I'm one of those. It's a Wonderful Life. But with Sarah Purr. Dear Lord, thank you for this wonderful Christmas season. Thank you for our friends and family. Thank you for the men and women who serve in the armed forces. With those who don't have enough, Lord, look after them. Provide warmth and food and shelter to them during the season and all time. Help those who might not have any home right now or friends or family. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, let's go to It's a Wonderful Life here on Yesterday, USA. Lux presents Hollywood. Lever Brothers Company, the makers of Lux Toilet Soap, bring you the Lux Radio Theater, starring James Stewart, Donna Reed, and Victor Moore in It's a Wonderful Life. Ladies and gentlemen, your producer, Mr. William Keeley. Greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. 
Tonight we bring you one of the season's most inspiring hits, a Liberty Films production that's been nominated for the highest screen award. Yes, it's a wonderful life. And we present it now with its original fine stars, Jimmy Stewart and Donna Reed. Jimmy in the role which won him a nomination for the best performance of the year. Also in our cast is starred that fine comedian, Victor Moore. It's a Wonderful Life is the drama of a typical American. Might be you, it might be me. He dreams of glory, he lives in hope, he loves and doubts, uh, and only Providence puts a final value on his service to humanity. Our story starts before the war, when life was normal. Shortages were generally unknown, and simple luxuries like Lux Soap were abundant. I won't say that's the only reason people said it's a wonderful life, but I do know from the thousands of letters in our files that most of them said it's a wonderful soap. And they keep right on saying it day after day. In fact, the popularity of Lux Soap is what makes it possible to present such entertainment as Frank Capra's great production, It's a Wonderful Life, starring Jimmy Stewart as George, Donna Reed as Mary Hatch, and Victor Moore as Clarence. This is the story of George Bailey, citizen of Bedford Falls, New York. George Bailey, who more than anything under the sun, wanted to see the world. The wonderful, exciting world that lay somewhere beyond the limits of his hometown. Oddly enough, this story does not begin in Bedford Falls. In fact, it doesn't begin anywhere in the world. It begins in heaven where the superintendent of angels has just summoned an apprentice angel named Clarence. Oh, I, I'm really going down to earth, sir? Oh, how splendid. Yes. There's a very discouraged man down there, Clarence. George Bailey. At exactly 10.45 p.m., earth time, he'll be thinking seriously of ending his life. Oh, dear, dear, his life. Now, I want you to stop him if you can. Now, sit down, sit down. I'll give you Bailey's case history. Sir, if, uh, if I should accomplish my mission, may I perhaps get my wings? I've been waiting over 200 years now, and, well, people are beginning to talk. Clarence, what's that book? The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, sir. I was reading it when you sent for me. Oh, fine book, excellent. Well, you do a good job on George Bailey, and we'll see about your wing. Oh, thank you, sir. Now, listen. When George Bailey was a boy, two events occurred that you should keep in mind. One was when his young brother, Harry, fell through the ice and almost drowned. George saved him. Brother fell through the ice. George saved him. Ever since, George has had a bad ear. All that icy water, you understand. Yeah, bad ear, yes, sir. The other event came a few months later. George used to work after school in Mr. Gower's drugstore. One day, Mr. Gower's only son died of influenza. It was a terrible blow, and poor Mr. Gower tried to lose his grief in whiskey. Where you been, George? Mrs. Blaine's called twice. What happened to her prescription? You lost it, didn't you? No, Mr. Gower. Here it is. Well, you good for nothing. Don't you know that Blaine girl's very sick? Mr. Gower, my ear. You're hurting my sore I'll ear. teach you to loaf, you lazy brat. Mr. Gower, you don't know what you're doing. You put something wrong in those capsules. Shut up. Oh, I know you feel bad, but look, Mr. Gower, look. This bottle, you used this bottle to make up the capsules. It's poison. 
Persian? Those are my Zora again, Mr. Please. Gower. Oh, George. That's what you deliver, Mr. Gower. All I wanted was to make sure. George, George. Well, Clarence, that was George Bailey as a boy. When he grew up, he wanted to go to college, but there just wasn't the money. So he worked four years in the Building and Loan Association. Building and Loan Association? Oh, I forgot to tell you. George's father was in the building and loan business. He and George's uncle, Billy. High ideals and low bank account. Anyway, George worked for his father and saved enough to see him through the university. That summer, though, he was going to Europe. Got a job on a cattle boat. Do a little traveling before college. Boy, oh boy, oh boy, it's hard to realize that my last night in the Bailey boarding house. We're sure going to miss you, George. Oh, I'm going to miss you too, Pop. Hey, what's the matter? You look tired. Oh, I had another tussle with old Henry Potter today. Well, I thought when you put him on the board of directors, he'd ease up. Well, so did I. I just can't understand a man like Mr. Potter. He can't begin to spend all the money I he has. I guess Potter owns about everything he wants in Bedford Falls, except our building and loan. That's why he hates us. Hey, George, can I borrow your tuxedo studs? Yeah, help yourself, Harry. Well, where are they? In your suitcase? Well, I'm not taking a tuxedo on a cattle boat, you know. Say, where'd you get that suitcase anyway? Oh, Mr. Gower, going away present. And one of these days, you're going to see that bag all covered with travel labels. Italy and Baghdad, Samarkand. Could have a pretty full summer, eh? I'm going to have a pretty full life. Hey, why don't you come to the dance tonight? Why, I'd be bored to death. Well, you couldn't want a better death. Lots of pretty girls. Hey, I got a hurry. I wish we could send Harry to college with you, George. Oh, we've got that all figured out now, Pop. He'll take over my job at the building and loan, work four years like I did, and then he'll go. Well, he's pretty young for that job. Well, no younger than I was. <laughs> Maybe you were born older, George. Huh? George, when you get out of college, I don't suppose you'd come back to the building and loan. Oh, oh now, Pop, I... I... I, I just couldn't. I, I couldn't face being cooped up the rest of my life in a shabby little office. I, I, oh, I, I'm sorry, Pop. Now, I, I didn't mean that, but it's just this business of nickels and dimes. I'd go crazy. I, I want to do something big, something important. Well, in a small way, we are doing something important, George. In that shabby little office, we help people figure out how they can own their own homes. I know, I know, Pop. I, I just wish I felt that I... I, I but I, I just feel like if I didn't get away, I'd bust. I... You're right, boy. You get yourself an education, then get out of here. Oh, Pop, you... Pop, you want a shock? I think you're a pretty great guy. Well, thanks, George. I'm glad to hear it. Look, um, why don't you go on over to Harry's dance? You'd have a good time. Well, I don't know. Maybe I will drop in. Yeah, maybe I will at that. So, George Bailey went to a dance. Is that important, Joseph? Why, it was at the dance he met Mary Hatch. Oh. And three hours later, he was walking her home. George and Mary were feeling pretty good, Clarence. As a matter of fact, wonderful. Buffalo gals, can't you come out tonight? Can't you come out tonight? Can't you come out tonight? Buffalo gals, can't you come out tonight? And dance by the light. Oh, hot dog. Oh, boy, just like an organ. At least. Hey, you know, you know something? If it wasn't me talking, I'd say you were the prettiest girl in town. Well, why don't you say it? Well, I don't know. Maybe I will. How old are you anyway? Eighteen. Eighteen? Too young or too old? No, no, no. It's just right. It sort of fits you. Hey, hey, look where we are. Hmm? 
Oh, the old Granville house. Yeah, I gotta throw a rock. Oh, no, Jonah. I, I love that old house. Well, no, don't you know about deserted houses? You, you make a wish and then throw a rock. George, but it, it was such a lovely old place. I wish I lived there. In there? I wouldn't live in it as a ghost. Now, watch. Watch this. Here we go. How about it, huh? Pretty good shot, huh? Broke a window, huh? <laughs> What'd you wish, George? Oh, I don't know. Not just one wish, a whole hat full. Mary, I'm shaking the dust of this crummy little town off my feet, and I'm going to see the world. Italy, Greece, the Parthenon, the Colosseum. And then I'm coming back here and go to college and see what they know. And then I'm going to build things. I'm going to build airfields and skyscrapers a hundred stories high and bridges a mile long. And then I'm going to... Hey, hey, Mary. What is it you want? What do you want, huh? You want the moon? All you got to do is just say the word now. Okay, the moon, I'll take it. Then what? Then what? Well, well, then you could swallow it, and, and it'd dissolve like an aspirin, you know. And the moonbeams would shoot out of your fingers and the ends of your hair, and the... the uh, you, you think I'm talking too much? Yes, why don't you kiss her instead of talking her to death? How's that? Uh, youth is wasted on the wrong people. Why? Well, hey. hey, just a minute, mister. Hey, you come back here. I'll show you some kissing George. if you want to... George! Hey, Uncle Billy, look here. I'm going to kiss Mary. Watch. George, get in the car quick. Your father's had a stroke. What? What? George, had... get in. Hurry. Well, George's father died that night, Clarence. So, of course, George couldn't go to Europe. But that fall, just as he was ready to leave for college, the directors of the building alone had a meeting. They were going to appoint a successor to Mr. What was that you said, Mr. Potter? I said as long as Peter Bailey's dead, let's dissolve the building and loan. We don't need it. Now, wait a minute. Oh, you wait a minute. Peter Bailey was not a businessman. Ideals without common sense can ruin a town. What do we get? A discontented, lazy rabble instead of a thrifty working class. Hold on, Mr. Potter. Hold oh, on. Just I meant a no disrespect, George, but. Oh, wait a minute, Harry. Why my father ever started this cheap penny ante building and loan, I'll never know. But just remember this, Mr. Potter, this rabble you're talking about, they do most of the working and the paying and living and dying in this community. Well, is it too much to have them work and pay and live and die in a couple of decent rooms and a bath? Anyway, my father didn't think so. People were human beings to him. But to you, a warped, frustrated old man, they're cattle. Well, in my book, Mr. Potter, he died a much richer man than you'll ever be. I'm not interested in your book, George. I'm talking about the building and loan. You're talking about something you can't get your fingers on that's galling. That's what you're talking about. Well, this town needs this measly one-horse institution, if only to have some place where people can borrow a few dollars without crawling to you. Now, come on, Uncle Billy. What happened, George? Yeah, all we heard was a lot of yelling. Boy, oh, boy, you should have heard, George. Yeah, they're in there voting us out of business. Oh, who cares? I can get another job. I'm only 41. 45. Well, you get out of here, George. You missed your boat trip. Do you want to miss college, too? George, we've just voted Potter down. We're still in business. Whoopee! We're still in business. We're still in business. But there's one condition, George. They've appointed you to take your father's place. Appoint me? But I'm going to college. Look, this is my last chance. Uncle Billy's your man. Uh, George, you've got to take it. They'll vote with Potter otherwise. They said so. They even... I know George Bailey didn't go to college. That's right, Terrence. He gave his, his college money to Harry. Harry went instead. But what happened to that good-looking girl, you know, Mary? Oh, George saw her now and then. Not very often, though, because Mary went away to school, too. Anyway, George waited four years more for Harry to come back and take over the building and loan. He could still see the world. 
He planned to work in the oil fields, Venezuela. Except when Harry came home, he wasn't alone. There was a girl with him, his wife. George? Yeah, I'm out here on the porch, Mother. I just thought I'd get some air. Well, how, how do you like your new sister-in-law? Oh, she's swell. Looks like she can keep Harry on his toes. Yeah, yeah, I keep him out of Bedford Falls anyway. What do you mean? Well, Ruth's father, she's, he's got a wonderful job for Harry up in Buffalo. Buffalo? Well, that means you... Yeah. You can't... Yeah. George, uh, did you know Mary Hatch is back from school? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Nice girl, Mary. Mm-hmm. Oh, stop grunting. Mm-hmm. Give me one good reason why you shouldn't call on Mary. Well, Sam Wainwright. Sam's crazy about Mary. Well, she's not crazy about him. Well, now, how do you know that? Did she discuss it with you? How do you... Besides, Sam's away in New York. Oh, and all's fair in love and war. Uh-huh, I see. Okay, Mother, I think I'll go out and find that girl and do a little passionate necking. Oh, George. Goodbye, Miss Bailey. By the way, do you want any books at the library? Library? George! George, you go and see Mary. Do you hear? George, is that you out there? Oh, oh hello, Mary. Well, are you coming in? I just happened to be passing by here. Oh, I thought you were picketing. Have you made up your mind? How's that? Have you made up your mind? About what? About coming in. Your mother just phoned. She said you were coming over. My mother just phoned. What does she mean, Carl? I I just happened to be passing by. That's all. I didn't... Well? Well, all right. I'll come in for a minute. But I I didn't tell anybody I was coming here. You you feel I can't go out for a walk nowadays without you... When did you, you get back? Tuesday. Mm. When did you get that dress? Do you like it? It's all right. <laughs> well, no point standing here on the porch. Come on in. I, I still can't understand it. I didn't tell anybody I was coming here, you know. Would you rather leave? Well, no, I don't want to be rude. <laughs> Sit down for a while. It's nice about your brother and Ruth, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all right. Don't you like her? Well, of course I like her. She's a peach. Oh, just marriage in general you're not enthusiastic about, hmm? No, no. Marriage is all right for a lot of people. It's all right for Harry and Sam Wainwright and you. For Sam? Harry? It's George Bailey, Mother. What's he want? I don't know. What do you want? Me? Not a thing. Not a thing. I, I just came in to get warm. He's making violent love to me, Mother. You just tell him to go right back home. Sam said he'd call you tonight from New York, didn't he? I guess so. How about some music? Uh, you know, your mother needs... A, you know, I didn't come here to... What did you come here for, then? Uh, I don't know. You're supposed to be the one with all the answers. You tell me. Oh, why don't you go home? I don't know why I came here in the first place. Good night. Good night. Okay, the way you're shouting, you'd think that... You'd think what? All right, I'll get it. George, on your way out, would you mind turning off the phonograph? I'd be very happy to. Hello? Sam? Mary! Gee, it's good to hear your voice. How are you, Sam? I forgot my hat. Hee-haw. What? Oh, I I was just talking to an old friend of yours, George Bailey. Old Mossback George? Old Mossback George. Well, put him on. I'll talk to him, too. Wait a second. George! He doesn't want to speak to George. He does so. He asked for him. Why'd you call me? Because if you are, I'm in a hurry. Sam wants to talk to you. Oh. Oh. Hiya, Sam. Hey, fine pal you are, trying to steal my girl. Now, what do you mean? Nobody's trying to steal anybody's girl. Here, Mary, take that. No, no, no. Wait, wait, George. I want to speak to you both. Tell Mary to get in the extension upstairs. 
And he says for you to get on the extension upstairs. I can't. Mother's on the extension. We, we can both hear, George. Just put your head a little closer. What? Yeah, what? That's, that's better. Uh, we're, we're listening, Sam. Well, I have a big deal coming up that's going to make us all rich. George, you remember that time you told me about making plastics out of soybeans? Soybeans, yeah. Yeah, soybeans, yeah. Well, yeah, my yeah. father's checked into it, George, see? And now he's going to put up a factory. How do you like that? A factory, huh? And yeah. here's the point, George. I may have a job for you unless you're still married to that broken-down building and loan. Oh, Mary? Uh, I'm here. You tell that guy I'm giving him a chance of a lifetime. Do you hear? He says it's the chance of a lifetime. And give me that phone. Here's George again, Sam. George! Now, you listen to me, Mary. I don't want any plastics, and I don't want any job, and I don't want to get married ever to anyone. Do you understand that? I want to do what I want to do, and, and you're not going to trick me. And you're... Mary? George. Mary? Oh, Mary, darling, I, I love you, Mary. So George, Bailey, and Mary Hatch were... Yes, George and Mary were married. Mm. And they started off on their honeymoon in Ernie Bishop's taxi cab. Hey, where are you two going on this here now, honeymoon? We're going to shoot the works, Ernie. A whole week in New York, a whole week in Bermuda, the highest hotel, the oldest champagne, the hottest music, and the prettiest wife. <laughs> so you're finally getting out of Bedford Falls, huh? Then what? Then what, honey? After that, who cares? That does it. Hey, you know, Mrs. Bailey, I haven't kissed you. Hey, since George, I... there's something funny going on over there. Look, look over there at the bank. It looks huh? like a run. All right, pull over a minute, will you, Ernie? George, let's not stop. Please, let's go straight to the no, station. No, wait a minute. Well, uh, I'd better see what it is. I'll be right back. George, please. George! In a few moments, we'll return with the second act of It's a Wonderful Life, starring James Stewart, Donna Reed, and Victor Moore. Meanwhile, here's our Hollywood reporter, Libby Collins, looking very smart to me, I say. Well, thank you, Mr. Keeley. You know, after seeing Paulette Goddard's wardrobe for Paramount's new comedy, Suddenly It's Spring, I just had to rush out and buy something new. Looking at all those lovely clothes was just too much for my self-control. Well, you look stunning, Libby. Oh, thank you again, Mr. Keeley. Now, tell me about the picture. I understand that Paulette's portrayal of an ex-whack is truly delightful. Oh, yes, it is. And Fred McMurray gives a perfect characterization of her wayward husband. Between the two of them, Suddenly It's Spring is a high-spirited comedy with emphasis on the romantic side. Well, naturally. <laughs> but really, Mr. Keeley, that wardrobe of Miss Goddard certainly will make close-conscious girls sit up and take notice. I'll bet you think so, too, Mr. Kennedy. Well, Libby, men seldom know much about styles. Well, what I notice about a dress is the general effect when a woman wears it. Some girls always seem to have that right-on-the-beam look. You know what I mean. <laughs> well, I think what you have in mind, Mr. Kennedy, is good grooming. Screen stars certainly put great emphasis on it. A perfect hairdo, fresh, beautifully cared-for skin. Those are essentials. That must be the reason Lux Toilet Soap continues to be a studio standby, no matter how often other styles change. Well, that's what Miss Goddard told me. She says her beauty facials are so quick and easy and work so well. She's never without a supply of Lux Toilet Soap. I can depend on it for daily complexion care, she said. I wish you'd tell the ladies in our audience how easy these Lux Soap facials are, Libby. Well, here's what Paulette Goddard does. She says, I cover my face with a fragrant Lux Soap lather and work it well in. I rinse with warm water, then cold, and use a soft towel to pat my skin dry. 
Gives skin quick new beauty, she says. Daily Lux soap facials do make skin lovelier. Recent tests by skin specialists proved it. In, in three out of four cases, complexions became softer and smoother in, in just a short time. A lovely Lux complexion makes a woman so attractive. I wish every girl who hasn't tried Lux toilet soap would begin using it tomorrow. That's sound advice, Libby. When nine out of ten screen stars recommend a beauty soap, you know it has to be good. So why not try Lux toilet soap, Hollywood's own complexion soap? We pause now for station identification. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Act two of It's a Wonderful Life, starring Jimmy Stewart as George, Donna Reed as Mary and Victor Moore as Clarence. Well, we're back in heaven again, where the superintendent of angels is reviewing the case history of a mortal named George Bailey. Clarence, the apprentice angel, is very eager to depart on his mission to the earth. Poor George Bailey. Oh, he's certainly in desperate trouble, Joseph. I'll go to him at once. Now, you sit down, Clarence. Sit down. We're nowhere near the point where George Bailey's thinking of taking his life. We're not? Now, uh, where were we? Uh, oh, yes, yes. George and Mary had just started out on their honeymoon when they ran smack into the financial panic of 1932. In the waiting room of the building and loan, a hundred frantic people were clamoring for their sale. Hey, what's going on, Uncle Billy? What's happened? All those people out there. This is a pickle, George. All I know is the bank called our loan an hour ago. I had to hand over all our cash. Holy mackerel. Whole town's gone crazy. Bank's in the same spot we are. Our charter, too. What about our charter? Our charter says we have to stay open until 6 p.m. The state can take away our license if we don't. How can we stay open until 6 without any money? George, where are you going? Out to talk to those people. Come on. Now, please. Now, please, folks. Now, just a minute. Just a minute. Now, please. How about our money, George? Where's our money? Now, come on. Now, please. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Now, listen to me. Now, you're thinking of this place all wrong. Your money's not here. Now, wait a minute. Now, let me tell you. Let me tell you. Your money's in people's houses. In the Kennedy house, in the McLaren house, and in your house, and a hundred others. Now, what are you going to do? Foreclose on them? I got $240 in shares. Now, let me have it. All right. All right, Charlie. Now... You'll get your money in 60 days. 60 days? Well, now, look, that's what you, that's what you agreed on when you bought your shares. I got my money! Well, yes! Old man Potter's taking over the bank. He'll pay you 50 cents on every dollar. Then let's take our shares to Potter. Half is better than nothing. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Please, folks, I beg of you not to do this. If Potter gets hold of your shares, he'll be owning this building and loan. He's got the bank, he's got the bus line, he's got the department stores, and now he's after us because he wants to keep you living in his shacks and paying the kind of rent he decides to charge. Now, we can get through this thing, all right, but we've got to stick together. We've got to have faith in each other. My husband's out of work. We need money. I've got doctor bills to pay. I can't feed my kids on things. We still got some money. Hey, Mary. Here it is, George. You told me to hold on to it. Would have made a nice honeymoon. Bought furniture, too. Hey, now, wait a minute, folks. Listen. I've got $2,000. All right, Charlie, how much do you need? $240. No, Charlie, now listen. Just enough to tide you over. I said $240. Okay, okay. Uncle Billy, give Charlie $240. All right, Ed. Now, how much just to get by? Oh, $20, I suppose. Now you're talking. Now you Mrs. Thompson, how about you? $20 will do me. Good, good. $20. Uncle Billy, pay it back when you can now. Pay it back when you can. All right, all right. Who's next? Who's next? 
Look at the clock. Look. Five seconds, four seconds, three, two, one. Six o'clock. We made it. Lock that door, Eustace. Quick. Boy, we're still in business, Uncle Billy. We've even got two bucks left, hmm? George, there's a call for you. Okay, and then call my wife, will you? She's probably over at Mother's. Mrs. Bailey's on the line. No, I don't want Miss Bailey. I want my wife. Mrs. Bailey. Miss Bailey. That, that's my wife. That's my... Uh, give me the phone, will you? Hey, Mary. Ma- listen, Mary. I'm sorry. I... I hmm? Come home. Well, what home? Well, 323 Sycamore. Well, whose home is that? What? Well, Mary, how can I... Well, sure, all right, sure, I'll, I'll be there. Clarence, guess what 323 Sycamore was? His mother-in-law's house, huh? Oh, no. Number 323 Sycamore was the old Granville house, the one George threw rocks at and made wishes. Yes, sir, that's where they spent their honeymoon. That's where they started housekeeping. They were still living there two years later when old man Potter asked George to stop over at his office. Sit down, George, sit down, do. Uh, have a cigar? Well, thank you, sir. Uh, George, you're a young man, married, making, say, $40 a week at the building and lawn. Forty-five. Forty-five. Now, if you were some ordinary yokel, I'd say you were doing fine. But George Bailey is intelligent, ambitious. He hates the building and lawn almost as much as I do. He's been dying to get out of town ever since he was born, but he's trapped. Trapped into frittering his life away, playing nursemaid to a lot of garlic eaters... Do I paint a correct picture, George, or do I exaggerate? Well, what's your point, Mr. Potter? My point is that you're the only man in town who has licked me. George, I want to hire you. Manage my affairs. I'll start you off at $20,000 a year. $20,000 a year? Are you sure you're talking to me? I'm George Bailey. Don't you remember me? The building and loan, remember? Yes, George Bailey, whose ship has just come in, providing he has sense enough to climb aboard. Well, but... but... What about the building and loan? Confound it, man. I'm offering you a three-year contract at $20,000 a year. Is it a deal or isn't it? No, no. The answer's no doggone it. If you offered me a million dollars to stay around this town and play stooge to you, the answer'd still be no. Now, let me alone. Don't bother. George, what did Mr. Potter want? Oh, it's nothing. He just talked, talked. It's nothing. Oh, gee. Mary Hatch. Mary, why in the world did you ever marry a guy like me, anyway? <laughs> to keep from being an old maid. I was going to see the world. I was going to build things. I was going to give you the moon. What have I given you? What have I given you? Not even a new dress, not for months. I... Gee whiz, I feel awful. So do I. Mornings especially. I could have married Sam Wainwright, anybody else in town. I didn't want to marry anybody else. I want my baby to look like you. No, you didn't even have a honeymoon. And I promised you that you, 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 you what? My baby. Your, your baby. Hey, Mary, Mary, you mean you're on the nest? A boy. You don't say. Then she had another one. A girl. Well, what do you know? Night after night, George had come home late from the office. Things weren't good with the building and loan. Potter was really bearing down on him. Then came the war. Mary had another baby by then. Oh. But she still had time to help out in USO. Uncle Billy sold war bonds. And George's brother Harry became a real hero. 
shot down 15 planes. But George, what about George? Well, George was 4F, his bad ear. He was an air raid warden. On VE day, he wept and prayed. On VJ day, he wept and prayed again. We're, uh, we're getting pretty close to today, aren't we, sir? Yes, Clarence. You now know almost everything you have to know about George Bailey, except what happened that finds him down there at this moment wanting to die. Well, sir, well... Well, today's the day before Christmas, uh, Earth time. George is pretty excited. Hey, Tilly! Useless! Hey, look at the newspaper. Commander Harry Bailey, decorated by the president. That's my kid brother. The Congressional Medal of Honor. Gosh, George, gosh. What do you think about the 15 Jap planes? And the last one he got was just about to dive into a transport loaded with soldiers. You know what that means? He saved lives, hundreds of lives. Hey, gee, where's Uncle Billy? Huh? We're going to the bank, George. He's oh. depositing that $8,000. Good, good, good. Who's that in his office there? It's that man again, the bank examiner. Uh-oh, oh, yeah. Well, good afternoon, Mr. Carter. Hey, uh, Telly, get the books from Mr. Carter, will you? You know, that's my brother's picture there, Mr. Carter. He shot down 15 planes, and one of them was just about... Well, well, Mr. Henry F. Potter, come to the bank to deposit some more loot, eh? Sure, you old fool. How do you like the news in the paper, Mr. Potter? Just can't keep those Bailey boys down now, can you? Oh, let me see that newspaper. Here, sorry I can't chat, you old thief. Gotta make a deposit. Uh, here you are, Horace, deposit slip, bank book, and a very Merry Christmas to you. You too, Mr. Bailey. Say, you've forgotten something, haven't you? Horace, I've forgotten things all my life. Get a wiggle on, boy. But, Mr. Bailey, where's the money? Uh, What's that? You want to make a deposit? Well, certainly I want Well, it's customary to bring the money with you. It's gone. Where'd I put it? Where'd I put that money? A terrible thing, Clarence. Terrible. Uncle Billy couldn't find the money because the envelope with the $8,000 was folded up in that newspaper he gave to old man Potter. I just don't know what happened to it, George. I just don't know. $8,000. Uncle Billy, the bank examiner's here, and it's not our money. It belongs to the depositors. George, what, what are we going to do? We've traced every step I took. We can't stand here in the street. Are you sure you didn't put that envelope in your coat pocket? I, I, I think so. Maybe. Maybe. Oh, I'm no good to you, George. I'm no good. Now listen to me. Now listen to me. Think. Think, will you? Now try and think. I... Can't think anymore. I, I can't. Where's that money, you silly old fool? You know what this means? It means bankruptcy and scandal and prison. One of us is going to jail. Well, it's not going to be me. Now get out of my way. I'm going home. George, dear, what's wrong? You haven't said a word since you came home. Oh, well, that banging on that piano, does she have to just keep playing that same piece over and over and over and over again? What is it, dear? Another hectic day. Yeah. Yeah, another red-letter day for the baby. Dad, Murphy's got a brand-new car. You should see it. What's the matter with our car? Isn't it good enough for you? I'm sorry, Dad. I only... Run upstairs, Petey. See if Zuzu's all right. Okay, Mom. Now, what do you mean? What, see if Zuzu's all right? What do you mean? Oh, she caught a little cold coming home from school. She didn't button up her coat. Well, what is it? What is it? What do you mean, just a cold? George, the doctor said it was nothing serious. The doctor? Was the doctor here? Well, I thought he'd better look at her. It's this old drafty house. It's no wonder we don't all have pneumonia. We might as well be living in a refrigerator. Why did we have to live here in the first place and stay around this measly, crummy old town? George, what's happened? Everything's happened. You call this a happy family? Why do we have to have all these kids? Daddy, how do you spell Frankenstein? I don't know how you spell. You ask your mother. Where are you going? Upstairs to see Zuzu. Hello? 
Oh, thank you, Mrs. Welch. I'm sure she'll be all right. Who's that? Zuzu's school teacher. What? Oh, yes, the doctor says she'll be fine tomorrow. Here, give me that phone. George, please. Mrs. Welsh? Well, this is Mr. Bailey. Say, what kind of a teacher are you, anyway? What do you mean sending Zuzu home like that half-naked? Do you realize you'll probably end up with pneumonia just because of your stupidity? You know, maybe my kids aren't the best-dressed kids in town, but at least... Hello? Hello? Janie, will you stop playing that lousy piano? I'll cut it out. Stop it! George, for heaven's sake, what's wrong with you? I'm sorry. I'm... Janie, I'm sorry, Mary. I, I, I've just got to get out of here. So that's it, George. You're short $8,000 in your accounts, eh? Now, please, Mr. Potter, I'll, I'll pay any sort of a bonus if you still want the building and loan. I, you say it I'll was let... lost. Have you notified the police? No, sir, I haven't done that yet. Harry's home. Oh, I come tomorrow. to me. What about your good friend Sam Wainwright? I can't get a hold of him. He's in Europe. What kind of security would I have, George? What collateral? Yes, sir, I have some life insurance here. $15,000 policy. Hmm? What's your equity in it? $500. And you want 8000 You once called me a warped, frustrated old man. Well, what are you but a warped, frustrated young man crawling on your hands and knees for help? Why don't you go to the riffraff you love so well? Ask them for help. I'll do anything, Mr. Potter, please. Please help me, Miss. My wife and kids... I'm calling the district it. attorney. $500. You know something, George? You're worth more dead than you are alive. Now get out of here. Get out. And all the time, Potter had the $8,000 in his desk drawer. It's still there, Terrence. But where's George, sir? Where? Well, he went over to Martini's Cafe. He's had a couple of drinks, Clarence. He's just standing there, sort of in a day. Oh, God... God, dear Father in heaven, I, I'm, I'm not a praying man, but if, if you're up there and, and you can hear me, please show me the way. I'm at the end of my rope. I, show me the way to God. Mr. Bailey, you all right? Don't drink anymore, Mr. Bailey. Please, you don't feel good. Bailey? You say Bailey? Which Bailey? This gentleman is Mr. Bailey, George Bailey. George Bailey, huh? And the next time you talk to my wife like that, she'll get worse. It isn't enough she slaves teaching your stupid kids how to read and write. You've got to follow You'll get out of here, Mr. Welch. You hit my best friend. Get out. All right, I'm following. Mr. Bailey, you, you okay? Who's that? Mr. Welch, but don't worry. He don't come in this place no more. I'll get something for your face. It's bleeding. I'm all right. Please don't go away, Let Mr. Bailey. Please don't Let go away. Well, George left Martini's Cafe five minutes ago, Clarence. He's at the river now, on the bridge, looking at the water. Are you ready, Clarence? All ready, sir. Very well. Save George Bailey's life, and you'll get your wings. My wings. Oh, thank you, Joseph. George! George Bailey! Get away from that bridge! You hear me? George! George! Just a moment, we'll bring you Act Three of It's a Wonderful Life, starring Jimmy Stewart, Donna Reed, and Victor Moore. The popular theory about beautiful blondes is that they're content to be merely decorative. Our lovely guest tonight, Miss Susan Blanchard, completely disproves that idea. 
Besides being a hard-working fox starlet, Susan, I understand you're a wonderful cook. I really love housekeeping, Mr. Keeley. But most of all, I enjoy the training I get at the studio. It's work, but it's fun, too. You're an Easterner, aren't you, Susan? Yes, a native New Yorker. I thought so. It was the Broadway theater that inspired me to think of show business as a career. Well, that's interesting. I used to save my allowance and go to every play I could. One of my favorite actresses was Jane Wyatt. Uh Uh-huh. Imagine, Mr. Keeley, what a thrill it was for me to meet her right here in Hollywood. Jane Wyatt's latest picture, Boomerang, was made in the East, I understand. Mm-hmm, yes. But she and Dana Andrews, who stars in Boomerang with her, were in Hollywood to see a studio showing of the picture. Oh, I see. Jane Wyatt is my ideal of a stage and screen star. So talented and so lovely to look at. Just as lovely in real life, too. She is indeed. It wasn't long before I discovered that she's as keen about Lux toilet soap for beauty care as I am. You know, I'm a Lux girl, too. We're glad to hear you say that, Miss Blanchard, because that's a very beautiful Lux complexion I see before me. Just right for blue eyes and ash blonde hair. Thank you, Mr. Kennedy. Any girl in pictures is delighted to find out about Lux toilet soap as a beauty care. Active lather facials are so quick and easy, and they really make a difference in your skin. Thousands of busy, attractive women have discovered that, Miss Blanchard. Daily Lux Soap Complexion Care does make skin lovelier. Otherwise, it wouldn't be the choice of nine out of ten screen stars. Lux Toilet Soap is all around beauty care for me. I use it as a bath soap, too. It has such delightful perfume, leaves a lovely fragrance on the skin. Thank you, Miss Susan Blanchard. I hope our audience will be seeing that lovely Lux complexion of yours in a screen close-up one of these days. Now, back to our producer, William Keeley. Act three of It's a Wonderful Life, starring Jimmy Stewart, Donna Reed, and Victor Moore. Numb with despair, convinced, as Mr. Potter said, that he's worth more dead than alive, George Bailey stands on a bridge, staring at the dark and frigid waters below. Suddenly, there's a splash. Help! Help! I'm drowning! Help! Help! No, that's not George. It's Clarence, the apprentice angel. And there goes George in after him. Hmm. It's a few minutes later now, and in the bridgekeeper's shack, George and Clarence are drying off. You both sure you're all right? You, you want a doctor? No, I'm all right. I'm all right. Oh, I'm fine. This underwear, I didn't have time to get anything more stylish. My wife gave me this on my last birthday. I passed away in it. You... You what, mister? Hmm. I see Tom Sawyer is drying out, too. Who? My book. I left in such a hurry, I brought Tom Sawyer with me. Hey, how'd you happen to fall in? Oh, I jumped in. I jumped in to save you. Jumped in to save me? Well, I... I did, didn't I? You didn't go through with it, did you? Go through with what? Suicide. Hey, it's against the law to commit suicide around here. Yeah, it's against the law where I come from, too. (laughs) Where do you come from? Heaven. Oh, that's very fine. Your your lips bleeding. Yeah, yeah, I got a bust in the jaw in answer to a prayer. Oh, no, George, I'm the answer to your prayer. Hey, how'd you know my name? Oh, I know all about you. Well, who are you supposed to be, anyway? Clarence Oddbody, A.S. 2. Clarence Oddbody. What's the the A.S. 2 for? Angel, second class. Hey, I'm getting out of here. You may not need a doctor, but I do. (laughs) 
Cheerio, my good man. Hey, look here. Why why'd you want to save me? Because I'm your guardian angel, George. Oh, I see. Uh-huh. Well, you look like about the kind of an angel I'd get. What, <laughs> what, uh, what happened to your wings? Well, I haven't won my wings yet. That's why I'm an angel second class. Oh, I see. But you can help me earn them, George, by letting me help you. Oh, uh, don't happen to have 8,000 bucks on you, do you? Oh, no, no. We, we don't use money in heaven. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I keep forgetting. I see. Comes in pretty handy down here, bub. <laughs> oh, cut, cut, cut. Of course, I found it out a little late. You know, I'm worth more dead than alive. You mustn't talk like that. Joseph will never give me my wings if you keep feeling that way. You just don't realize what you've done for your folks. Why, if it hadn't been for you... Yes, if it hadn't been for me, everybody would be better off. My wife and my kids and my friends. Oh, this is not going to be easy. I'd all be better off if I hadn't been born. What did you say? I said I wish I'd never been born. George, that's wonderful. It's wonderful? What? The idea you just gave me. Well, you've got your wish. You've never been born. I've never been born? Exactly. No worries, no $8,000 to get, nothing. You simply don't exist. All right, all right, okay, all right. George, I can do things, strange things. I can show you the world, George, the way it would be if you hadn't been born. Hey, wait, hey, wait a minute, this ear of mine. Hey, say something else in that bad ear. You don't have a bad ear anymore. Oh, I don't think you're concentrating. Oh. Don't you see? You're not the George Bailey you think you are. You're well, uh... You're nobody. Oh, that's a doggone thing I ever saw. That that ear. Your lips stopped bleeding too. Yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, what's what's happening around here? What is this anyway? I need a drink. That's what I need. What, what about you, Angel? You want a drink? Well, I I don't quite know. Come on, I... come on. We'll go as soon as our clothes are dry. Clothes are dry, George. Hey, this, so they are. That's funny. Well, look. Let's get dressed, and we'll stroll over to Martini's, and then... Uh, oh, excuse me. I mean, I'll stroll. You fly. Yeah. Oh, no, I don't have my You don't wings. have your wings yet. No. That's right. I forgot that I can. A couple of drinks, and we'll both fly. Huh? What'll you have, fellas? Hey, where's the boss? Where's Martini? Look, wise guy, I'm the boss, see? Okay, well, double scotch, quick, will you? What's yours? You know what I just love? Some mulled wine. Huh? Heavy on the cinnamon and light on the cloves. Off with you, my lad, and lively now. Now cut it out. Oh, no, come on. Here. Just give him the same as I ordered. He's okay. Uh, He's two double scut. What about this place? It's all changed. All of Bedford Falls has changed. You're having your wish, George. You've never been born. Oh, there'll be lots of things you've never seen before. <laughs> oh, good. Somebody just made it. Made what? Every time a bell rings, it means some angel's got his wings. What'd you say? Uh, look, uh, Clarence, I don't think you better talk about angels around here. Yeah. Don't they believe in angels? Oh, yeah, they believe in them, but you know, it's just a little well, then thing. Then why should people be surprised when they see one? Uh, don't mind him, bartender. He's just a little fellow. He just never grew up. And how old are you anyway, Clarence? Well, next May, I'll be 293. That does it. A couple of pixies, huh? Go on, get your hemi cat. Hey, where's Martini? Will you stop tell me? asking about Martini? He ain't here, and he. Hey, yo, Rummy! Didn't I tell you never to come panhandling around here? 
George, look. Hey, it's Mr. Gower. Mr. Gower. Listen, Mr. Gower, don't you know me? This is George Bailey. You... You buy me a drink, mister, just one drink, will you, mister? Pinky! Yeah, Nick. Throw the rummy out. Oh, no, no, please. Hey, bartender, that's, that's Mr. Gower, the druggist. That rumhead spent 20 years in jail for poisoning some kid. If you knew him, you must be a jailbird yourself. Pinky, here's two more. Get him out of here. Well, get up, George. Good thing he threw us in a snowbank, huh? Hey, where's, where's Mr. Gower? Mr. Gower doesn't know you, George. You see, you weren't there to stop him from putting poison into that prescription. What do you mean I wasn't there? Look, look tell me, what are you? Are you a hypnotist? George. Look, well, why am I seeing all these strange things here? Don't you understand? It's because you were not born. Well, if I wasn't born, then who am I? Nobody. You have no identity. Well, what do you mean I have no identity? No papers, no driver's license, no 4F card, no insurance policy. Zuzu's bell. What? Zuzu's bell. I bought my little girl a bell to hang on the Christmas tree, and I forgot to give it to her. I've got it in my... I... It's gone. It's gone, too. Everything's gone. But you've been given a great gift, George. A chance to see what the world would be like if you'd never been born. You're crazy. You're crazy as a bedbug, and you're driving me crazy, too. Now look, I'm going home to my wife and family. Do you understand that? And I'm going home alone. Joseph, oh, I'll stay near him, sir. Poor George. He's seeing Main Street now the way it'd be if he hadn't lived. The thing that's really shocked him, sir, is the building and loan office. Know what's there now? Pawn shop. What's he doing? Can you see? He's talking to Ernie Bishop, the taxi driver. He wants to go home. You better tag along, Clarence. Oh, I will, sir. I will. Come on, step on it, will you, Ernie? Get me home. I'm off my nut. Where do you live, buddy? Oh, now, doggone it, Ernie. Don't you start pulling that stuff on me. 323 Sycamore. 323 Sycamore. Yeah, hurry up. I'll put his sick. Okay, buddy. Hey, look, Ernie, I, I don't know what's happening. I'm going crazy or something. I got some bad liquor. I... Now, look, tell me this now. You're Ernie Bishop, right? And you live with your wife and kid, Donald. You've seen my wife? What do you mean? I've seen your wife. I've been in your house a hundred times. What do you... We, we built it for you, didn't we? What? My wife took the kid and ran away five years ago, and I ain't never seen you before in my life, see? Okay, Ernie. Okay. Okay. Just step on it. Get me home. Mary! Mary, where are you? Janie, Petey, Zuzu. Zuzu, where are you? This is just an old abandoned house, George. You have no wife. No children. Where are they? What have you done with them? Hey, I'll face that Tinsley, I told you. All right, up with your hands. Oh, Bert, Bert the cop. Thank heaven you're here. Now, look, why don't you be a good fella and I'll take you to a doctor. Bert, now, Bert, listen to me. What's the matter with you guys? Now, listen, it's that fellow there. He says he's an angel. He tried to hypnotize me. I hate to use my nightstick, but I guess I... Ow! Uh, run, George, run. He can't hit you while I'm... Ow! Biting him. George, run. My teeth aren't what they used to be. Joseph, help! Joseph! Joseph! Where'd they go, Arnie? Where'd they go? I, I, I don't know. They just disappeared. Parents. Oh, Joseph, I hope you don't mind my calling on you like I did. It was very irregular, Clarence. You're by yourself again. Where's George? He's at his mother's house, sir. Well, if George hasn't been born, he has no mother. 
Oh, he's being very stubborn, sir. He'll just have to find these things out for himself. But his mother, that's a terribly bitter blow to a man, his old mother not knowing him. You mean I shouldn't have let him... I mean you better find him right away. Oh, and stop fighting policemen, Clarence. I'm here again, George. My mother, my own mother didn't know me. If only Harry were here. My brother were only back from Washington. Your brother fell through the ice and was drowned at the age of nine. Well, that's a lie. He got the Congressional Medal of Honor. He saved the lives of every man on that transport. Every man on that transport died. Strange, isn't it? Each man's life touches so many other lives. Harry wasn't there to save them because you weren't there to save Harry. Don't you see, George? You really had a wonderful life. Don't you see what a mistake it would be to throw it away? Clarence. Yes? Where's Mary? Please, where's my wife? I, uh, I'm not supposed to tell. Tell me where she is. You're not going to like it, George. Where is she? I'll choke it out of you if I have to. Where's my wife? The library. She works there. She's just about to lock up for the night. So I, uh... George! George! Come back! Oh, there must be some easier way for me to get my wings. Mary. Mary. I'm sorry, the library's closed. Mary, it's George. Don't you know me? No, I don't know you. Let me go. Mary, please don't do this to me, Mary. Please help me. Help me. Where, where are our kids, Mary? I need you, Mary. Oh, get please. away from me. Help! Help! Help me. help me, Mary. I'm George. Mary! <laughs> Where is he, Joseph? Where's George? I'm afraid I've lost him, sir. You knew you shouldn't have let him try to see Mary. Now they're after him, a mob. They think he was trying to hurt her. Joseph, I won't even get one wing, will I? You have one more chance, Clarence. Get over to the bridge by the river. I think George has seen just about enough. But, uh, but the mob... Uh, don't worry. They've lost him, too. Now hurry up. Oh, thank you, Joseph. Thank you. Clarence. Clarence! Clarence, where are you? I'm here, George. Help me, Clarence. Get me back. I don't care what happens to me. Only get me back to my wife and kids, please. I want to live again. Oh, thank you, George. Thank you, boy. I want to live again, please. Oh, God, please let me live again. George? Is that you down there, George? Now get out of here, Bert. Get out of here. You come in any closer, I'll, what I'll let you have it. What the hell are you yelling for, George? Come on, George. George, Bert, Bert, do you know me? No, yeah, I've been looking all over town for you. Where you been? Hey, Bert, Bert, I'm alive again, Bert. You sure you're all right? Hey, your mouth's bleeding. It is. Hey, my mouth's bleeding. Bert, look, look at the blood come out of there, would you? Huh? And where's Zuzu's Christmas bell, Bert? I had it right in my pocket. Here it is. Hey, it's in my pocket. What do you know about it? Hey, Merry Christmas, Bert. Well, Merry Christmas. Get in the car. I'll drive you home. You will, Bert. We'll do that. I turn the siren wide open, huh? Merry Christmas, Bedford Falls. Hey, Merry Christmas, old building alone. Merry Christmas, Mr. Potter. Yippee! Come on. Hey, Bert, come on, come on in with me, huh? 
What are what these people, these reporters? Hey, oh, oh, Merry Christmas, reporters. Hey, Mr. Bank Examiner, Merry Mr. Christmas. Mr. Bailey, there's a deficit. I know, $8,000, I'll bet, huh? George, I've, I've got a little paper here. I'm oh, sorry. I, but... I bet it's a warrant for my arrest. Isn't that wonderful? Merry Christmas. Hey, where's Mary, you know? Uh, look at this wonderful old drafty house. Shouldn't it wonder? Have you seen my wife? Where's Mary? Mary! Hey, kid, Janie, Petey! Hey, oh, I could eat you up. Where's your mother? She went looking for you, Daddy, with Uncle Billy. Oh, Daddy? Zuzu, my little ginger snap. How do you feel, huh? Fine, Daddy. Not a snitch of temperature. Not a snitch of temperature. Hallelujah! George! George, darling! It's Mommy! Mommy's home! Mary! George, where have you been? Mary, oh, George, oh Mary, George. Now, look, just let me touch you. Oh, you're real, Mary. Oh, you've no idea what happened to me. You've no idea what's happened either. They're on their way here. Who? Who's on their way? Oh, the police department? I don't. The FBI? The National Guard? I'm alive again, Mary. Oh, listen, Mary, I'm alive again. Oh yes, darling, yes. Now, now, close your eyes and, and come on downstairs. Oh, you. What is it? Can't open my eyes yet, Mary? What's going on here? Now, now, keep your eyes closed. Now, I'll just walk you over here by the Christmas tree and... Well, the people I hear, lots of people. What, what is it? Lots of people. Just one minute now. We're all ready, Uncle Billy. Come in, everybody. George, look! Just look! Uncle Billy! Money, George, a laundry basket filled with money. Money for you. Mary did it, George. Mary! I don't understand. What money? What... People heard you in trouble, darling. These people, your friends, they've collected this money for you. The $8,000. Charlie. Hey, there's Mar- there's Martini. Uh, Mr. Gower. Hey, how are you, Mr. Gower? Mrs. Thompson, Ed, Tom, everybody. Huh? None of us would have a roof over our heads if it wasn't for you, George. Oh, gosh, this is wonderful. Hey, Mary, look. Look who's coming in. Mother. Hi, Mother. Hey, and Harry. Got Mary's telegram, George. I flew in as fast as hey, I could. Hey, everybody, a toast. How about a toast? Oh, good idea, Ernie. A toast to my big brother, George, the richest man in town. Adventures of Tom Sawyer. There's something written in it. Dear George, remember no man is a failure who has friends. Thanks for the wings, love, Clarence. Clarence? Yeah, he's a very dear friend of mine. Daddy, this is Welsh says every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. That's right, Zuzu. That's right. That's right. Atta boy, Clarence. Atta boy, Clarence. Happy landing. It's a wonderful life so long as we can have such fine performances as we enjoyed tonight from Jimmy Stewart, Donna Reed, and Victor Moore. Jimmy, I'd like to thank whatever guardian angel whisked you back from Texas for our show this evening. Well, that guardian angel was an airline's wing, uh, Bill. <laughs> you were in Texas for the premiere of his picture, weren't you, Jimmy? Yeah, Frank Capra and I went down for five openings as many nights. 
Pretty good all down there in Texas. Texas yeah. Jimmy? yeah, every one of them. The five premiers over Texas. You know, it's a pretty big state. Takes that many. To <laughs> do it. Jimmy, I'm sure your fans were proud to read that you received an honorary degree from Princeton just the other week. Yes. How about that, Jimmy? Do we call you Professor now? No, 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 no. It's just an M.A. Oh, Master of Arts? Well, I don't, it might have been. I don't know. It might be for murdering architecture. That's what I studied. <laughs> well, you know, Donna has an honorary degree to her credit, too. L.L.C. What's that, Bill? L.L.C.? Well, you can see for yourself. A lovely Lux complexion. Well, thank you, Bill. Or rather, thank Lux Toilet Soap. It's a wonderful complexion care. I use it faithfully. With wonderful results, I see. Uh, what's happening next Monday night on Lux, Bill? Next week, we have another of the season's most successful films. It's 20th Century Fox's thrilling screen hit, Leave Her to Heaven, with lovely Jean Tierney, and a star who appears in answer to literally hundreds of requests, Cornell Wilde. Best, based on the best-selling novel of the same name, Leave Her to Heaven is the strange, dramatic story of a woman whose twisted mind and fiendish jealousy drive her to any lengths to hold the man she loves. Now that ought to make great listening, Bill. I wouldn't miss it for anything. Good night. night. Good, Good night, night, and thanks a million. Lever Brothers Company, the makers of Lux Toilet Soap, join me in inviting you to be with us again next Monday evening when the Lux Radio Theater presents Gene Tierney and Cornell Wilde in Lever to Heaven. This is William Keeley saying good night to you from Hollywood. Here's a sure way to save on your meat and grocery bills. Turn in used patch kitchen fats to your butcher and receive a generous price for every pound. The worldwide supply of fats is still desperately short, and every drop you save helps in the making of soap, refrigerators, and other needed items. So save and turn in your used kitchen fats. Donna Reed appeared through the courtesy of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, producers of The Beginning or the End, starring Brian Donlevy and Robert Walker. James Stewart will soon be seen in the Robert Riskin production for RKO, Magic Town. Victor Moore will soon be seen in Roy Del Ruth's production, it happened on Fifth Avenue. Our music was directed by Louis Silvers. This program is broadcast to our men and women overseas through cooperation with the Armed Forces Radio Service. And this is your announcer, John Milton Kennedy, reminding you to tune in again next Monday night to hear Lever to Heaven with Gene Tierney and Cornell Wilde. Surprise. When you bake and fry, Surprise. or your cake and pie, Surprise. it's your shortening by Reliance Pie. Want fried foods crisp, golden, better tasting? Try Spry, the pure vegetable shortening that gives you delicious, better tasting fried foods. So digestible, too, the Spry way. Rely on Spry. S-P-R-Y. Rely on Spry. S-P-R-Y. Be sure to listen in again next Monday night to hear the Lux Radio Theater presentation of Lieber to Heaven. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. It's a Wonderful Life. Boy, I, I cry at the end of that show so many times, like I did tonight. Just, it's just a movie. Anyway, we're going to play uh, 
December 25, year 2017. Patricia joined the jury Documents when enter. Document for a S. Saturday, Saturday, enter. Saturday. Shell Saturday, one, two, enter. Saturday, three, made it. Whipper McGee and Molly, one, two, two, one, four, eight. Unloading jaw. Cancel. Okay, enter. Saturday, one, two, one, six. WMAQ and WMAQ-FM, NBC in Chicago. For incredibly fast relief from pains of headaches, neuritis, or neuralgia, try Anison tablets. Anison is like a doctor's prescription. That is, Anison contains not just one, but a combination of medically proven active ingredients. Get A-N-A-C-I-N, Anison, today. <laughs> the Johnson's Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. Makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat present Fibber McGee and Molly with Bill Thompson, Gail Gordon, Arthur Q. Bryan, and me, Harlow Wilcox. The script is by Don Quinn and Phil Leslie. Music by the Kingsmen and Billy Mills Orchestra. Well, I guess there's not much doubt that the kind of beauty women want in their kitchens is practical beauty. Maybe that accounts for the popularity of Johnson's self-polishing floor wax, Glow Coat. The beauty in Glow Coat, of course, is the luster it gives your linoleum. Especially now that there's a new glow in Glow Coat. A glow that makes every inch of your linoleum shine far more brightly than before. Well, there's a practical quality in Johnson's Glow Coat, too. And that's the protection it gives your linoleum. It certainly would be surprising if you or anyone could go through the holidays without scuffing up the linoleum surface a bit or spilling liquids when you're washing the dishes. Well, Johnson's Glow Coat, bright and pretty as it is to look at, covers your linoleum with a hard, dry finish that protects and makes it so easy to clean. Ask for Johnson's Glow Coat, the floor wax that now shines with a brighter, warmer glow. Your dealer has the new Glow Coat in the same familiar yellow container with the bright red band. Take some home and see what we mean by practical beauty in the kitchen. No holiday is a complete success with everybody. Cops, for instance, hate Halloween. The Army thinks Navy Day is silly. If you're a turkey, you're entitled to a low opinion of Thanksgiving. And what a mailman thinks of Christmas is absolutely unthinkable. 
One of them has just relieved his aching back a trifle, however, by leaving a batch of greetings at 79 Wistful Vista, the home of Fibber McGee and Molly. Well, here's the mail, kiddo. Mostly Christmas cards and... Hey, you know what? No, what? I wish the mailman a Merry Christmas and he looks at me like I'd poisoned his dog or something. What goes with that sour puss? Well, what's so merry about Christmas to a mailman? Huh? He starts out holding the bag and winds up the same way. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's right, but... Oh, look, a card from Uncle Dennis. Ah, uh, Uncle Dennis. Kentucky's greatest booster. <laughs> Straight Kentucky, that is. <laughs> What's the card? It's a picture of Santa Claus coming down the chimney upside down. Upside down? Yeah. <laughs> it says, Merry Christmas and bottoms up, Uncle Dennis. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, him, all right. Boy, the government missed a great bet when they passed him up during the war. What a production man he'd have made. Why? You ever know a guy that could locate a bottleneck quicker or get to the bottom of it faster? <laughs> Oh, I just love opening Christmas cards. Yeah. Who's that one from? Old man McDonald from the Third National Bank. It's a picture of him in a Santa Claus outfit, foreclosing a mortgage on a ragged widow and three barefoot kids standing out in the snow. <laughs> <laughs> Says, just kidding, of course, McDonald. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding, my clavicle. That guy's got less heart than the celery on the blue plate special. Hey, here's a pretty Christmas card. Let me see it. Oh, yes, isn't this sweet? Mm -hmm. It says, though Christmas comes but once a year, it brings back memories all so dear of friends whose hearts are strong and true. Old friends, good friends, dear friends like you. Ta-da-da. <laughs> little drippy, but nice. <laughs> who's it from? Well, it's signed, uh, with love, Elizabeth. Elizabeth. I wonder who that could... Wait a minute. It isn't addressed to us. It's addressed to you. To me? From Elizabeth? <laughs> Who do I know named Elizabeth? Well, I'm sure I don't know, dearie. Just some casual acquaintance, no doubt. My casual acquaintances don't sign Christmas cards with love, Snooky. My gosh. Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Interesting, isn't it? <laughs> Very. Some schoolgirl friend of yours, probably. Not likely. Any schoolgirl friend of mine has got an ear trumpet and grandchildren by this time. <laughs> hey, this is kind of intriguing, you know that? It is? Elizabeth, Elizabeth. I wonder if that could be the rather attractive woman I gave my seat to on the streetcar last week. <laughs> Just as I was getting off. <laughs> I don't think so. She called me a lazy slob. Well, now, just don't worry about it, sweetheart. And stop smirking at yourself in the mirror. I wasn't smirking. I was just wondering how I'd look with a mustache. You did raise one once, remember? How'd I look? Well, I don't recall ever committing myself, but Dr. Gamble said you looked like an adolescent walrus with a vitamin deficiency. <laughs> but, of course, he was... Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Come Elizabeth. in. Elizabeth. Oh, it's Mayor Latrivia, McGee. Hello, Mr. Mayor. Hi, Elizabeth. Or, hi, Latrib. Well, hello, Mrs. McGee. McGee. Whew. Getting pretty nippy outside. Regular winter weather. Yeah, this is the kind of a day I like, Latrib. Brisk and bracing. 
feels good not to have to go out in it. Sit down, Mr. Mayor, sit down. We're just looking over some Christmas cards. Yeah, I got one here that kind of baffles me, Latrive. I don't know who it's from. Why don't you read the signature on it? Well, he did, Mr. Mayor. It's signed with love, Elizabeth, and himself can't remember any Elizabeth, he says. Got me kind of curious, Latrive. Oh, not that I figure I got any more secret admirers than anybody else, but... <laughs> well, you know how it is, getting a card signed love from somebody you can't place. So. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably just a mistake of some kind. Yeah. I'd certainly advise Mrs. McGee not to worry about anybody stealing her husband. <laughs> And I'll thank you to keep your advice to yourself, Latrivia. My wife can worry about me if she wants to. Can't you, Molly? Indeed, I can, dearie. <laughs> I certainly can, and I will, too, just as soon as we get Christmas out of the way. <laughs> See, I'll bet you get lots of letters at the City Hall from people you've never heard of, Mr. Mayor. Don't oh, yes, yes, we do, Mrs. McGee. Most of them full of suggestions about how to run the city. Ever take any of them? I take all of them. Good. Out and burn them. <laughs> A letter came just this morning warning me to have the paving fixed on 14th Street or else. It was signed anonymous. So naturally, uh, I... Signed just... how, Mr. Mayor? Anonymous. That's just the anonymous, way of signing eh? something. Do you have many Irish friends like that, Latrice? <laughs> Irish friends? Like what? Like the man that wrote you the letter, Mr. Onanimous. Yeah. We knew a family named O'Callaghan and one named O'Lonigan, but... Uh... Yeah, that is an Irish name, isn't it, Latrice? We're Irish ourselves, you know. Molly was an O'Driscoll, and I've been an O'McGee for years. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is an Irish name. I've known the Anonymous family since boyhood. <laughs> huh? You have? Certainly. Terence Anonymous was a second cousin to Danny O'Donigan of the Donegal Donegans. He was? Well, that's odd, because I and Molly were merely his trying to... His father start... was a Finnegan on his grandmother Flanagan's side, but the <laughs> Flanagans married into the Galligans, and the Galligans got into so many Brannigans with the Donegans that the Finnegans got tired of the shenanigans and said the Galligans were hooligans. <laughs> and everybody lost their tempers, but I'm not going to, because an unstrung harp is no good to anybody. Besides, I just dropped in to offer you the season's greetings, so Merry Christmas to both of you, and good day. the orchestra with a medley of Christmas tunes.
Elizabeth. Elizabeth. I wonder if it... No, it couldn't be her. Just because a waitress smiles when she spills a bowl of soup in your lap is no sign McGee, she's... McGee, I ordered lamb chops for dinner if it's all right with you. Elizabeth. Elizabeth. McGee, are you still worrying about that Christmas card? Yeah. Throw it away. Yeah, but my gosh, Mom. Come in. Oh, for goodness sakes, McGee, it's Mr. Wimple. Hello, Mr. Wimple. Hi, Wimp, old man. Hello, folks. My... My gracious, it's chilly today. I, I think it's going to snow again. What makes you think so? I just cleaned off our sidewalk. <laughs> I just love winter weather, though. Sweetie Face, that's my big old wife. Yeah, we know. Sweetie Face and I always have a snowball fight every year. It's sort of a tradition with us. Oh. Sounds like fun. Well, I think it will be fun this year, Mrs. McGee. I made a whole big bunch of snowballs for myself last summer and hid them in the attic. Last summer you made snowballs? Yes. <laughs> we didn't have any snow handy, so I made them out of plaster. Plaster? Why, Mr. Wimple, isn't that awfully hard? Oh, no, it's easy. You just take half a brick, coat it with plaster, and let it dry. <laughs> well, I hope you have a nice Christmas present for your wife this year, Mr. Wimple. Oh, yes, indeedy, Mrs. McGee. I've been saving my allowance for simply years, and all her friends have fur coats, so this year I went down and bought her a mink. Oh, Heavenly days, a mink. Was she surprised? Oh, indeed she was. The minute I got it home, it bit her in the leg. <laughs> she, was, she was the most surprised. Oh, my. You've got some pretty Christmas cards there. Yeah, I suppose we've got one from you here someplace, Wimp, but we haven't come to it yet. No, I didn't send any this year, folks. Oh. That's why I came over today. I'd like to read you a little Christmas verse that I... Well, it's sort of a serious verse. Oh. It's called The Chimney on the Corner. The Chimney on the Corner. Oh, read it, Wimp. All righty. The Chimney on the Corner. When the Santa on the corner smiles and rings his little bell and waves a cheery greeting and hopes that you are well... Don't pass him with a hasty grin, but drop a coin or two, because the Army of Salvation plays St. Nicholas for you in places where a bowl of soup, a place to sleep tonight, a pair of shoes, another chance. Keep hope still shining bright. We know the corner Santa Claus is good for lots of jokes, but he's a real Kris Kringle to a lot of other folks. Goodbye and Merry Christmas. Well, same here. Isn't he a nice little man? Yeah, Wimp's okay. Oh, I forgot to ask him how'd he know who sent me this Christmas card if he did. I don't know how he should know. After all, just because... What are you doing? Huh? Oh. I'm just looking at my hair in the mirror. <laughs> I hadn't realized till today how a little touch of iron gray at the temples gives a man that distinguished look. <laughs> <laughs> you noticed how much of a wave I'm getting in it. Don't let your hair go to your head, sweetheart. <laughs> Maybe that wave is just your hair saying goodbye. <laughs> Be 
Besides, if this Elizabeth, whoever she is, could... Hello, Molly. Hiya, pal. Merry Christmas. And to you, too, Mr. Wilcox. Yeah, you're a little previous, Junior, but since this is the last time we'll see you till after Christmas, and don't think I don't appreciate it, <laughs> happy Yuletide. Well, thank you. I was just out mailing some cards, and I thought I'd drop by. Hey, and... Junior, speaking of cards, I got a Christmas card here that I don't know who it's from. Really? What does it say? Well, it's addressed to me, see, and it's just signed, Love, Elizabeth. I don't know any Elizabeth, and it's got... Do you with love, pal? That's yes. what it says, Mr. Wilcox. The thing is, Junior, there's lots of people that know me that I don't know them, you see. Even women. <laughs> sure, on, on account of I get saw around in public a lot, you know. <laughs> Prominent figure. Elks and everything. You mean you've got one or you are one? <laughs> Naturally, if some girl is struck by my looks and... Ask somebody my name. Well, I mean, there's no way I can help it. Say, now that you mention it, pal, a girl asked me your name just the other day. Uh-huh. Very attractive girl, too. You hear that, Molly? Oh, my gosh, this is even worse than I thought. What'd she say, Junior? Well, she pointed you out to me in Kramer's drugstore and asked me if I knew you and if I'd give you a message. Message? Gee whiz. Hey, is her name Elizabeth? Well, what's the message, Junior? Go ahead, tell Molly, too. We got no secrets. If girls I don't know want to send me messages, Molly knows there's nothing I can know. What'd she say to tell me? <laughs> Well, she said, and I quote exactly. Yeah. You tell Mr. McGee that one of the things that makes men most attractive to women is thoughtfulness. Yeah, yeah. And the thing that makes a kitchen most attractive is the Johnson self-polishing glow coat on the window. <laughs> she said, tell him that the way to keep his wife always in love with him, the way to keep that happy glow on her face, is to see that her housework is made as easy as possible by keeping her supplied with glow coat always. Oh, dear Dorothy Dix. <laughs> because glow coat with its new built-in glow, that great beautifier and protector of your linoleum is so easy to apply. You simply pour it out, spread it around, let it dry in 20 minutes or less to a gleaming, sparkling finish that not only adds years of life to your linoleum, but makes dirt and dust so easy to wipe up. Uh, hey, and, hey, uh, hey, hey. Waxy. Yes, pal. Who was the lovesick creature who sent my husband such a tender, sentimental message, Mr. Wilcox? Yeah. Was her name Elizabeth? No. Name's Jessica, come to think of it. Jessica. Best secretary I ever had, too. Oh. <laughs> well, I gotta go, kid. You in a hurry, Mr. Wilcox? Yeah. I'm on my way to a chimney sweep. Chimney stopped up, kid? Yeah. Full of soot, is it? No. It's full of my cousin, Big Bay Window Wilcox. <laughs> <laughs> Rehearsing his Santa Claus act for Christmas and got stuck in the flu. <laughs> well, he may not be a very good Santa Claus, Junior, but if he gets out of that chimney, he'll be well suited for the part. <laughs> Don't you get it, both of you? Suited? Okay, suited. <laughs> See, I constructed a pun involving the two meanings of the word suit. Ain't soot. funny, McGee. Taint? No, taint. So long now. Smart guy. You don't seem to realize that when a mature man like me, a man of the world, a man of charm and experience, can throw some woman for a loop so that she loses her head and sits down and writes him a love note for Christmas, I, I mean, she doesn't think that Wilcox doesn't. What did I start out to say? I'm sure I don't know, pet, but I've got to go out and get dinner started. Let me know now if you remember who Elizabeth is. Okay, but you just keep your chin up, Tootsie. Don't you worry about a thing. Me? Of course I won't, dearie. My <laughs> goodness, after all these years, what woman would want to... Uh, that is, I mean, well... You're no boy anymore, you know. Huh? I mean to say I love you dearly, you know that, but who else would ever... I mean... <laughs> Come in, please. <laughs> Hello, Dr. 
Dr. Gamble, my, it's nice to see you. Hello, my dear, and good day to you, pudding head. <laughs> Hi, Bellbottom. <laughs> you out spreading Christmas cheer this week by staying away from your patients? No, I'm out taking measurements for splints, my boy. Huh? Do you plan to use a stepladder to decorate your Christmas tree again this year? Or shall I cross your name off my list? <laughs> cross him off, Doctor. At the price they're asking per foot for Christmas trees this year, we'll be able to decorate ours from a kneeling position. Yes, say, Doc, uh, you happen to know anybody named Elizabeth? Certainly, my mother. <laughs> Himself got a, a Christmas card signed, Love, Elizabeth. No, no, that wouldn't be her, Molly. She hates him. <laughs> Your mother doesn't even know me. I've described you to her. <laughs> How could she hate me just from that? My gosh, you gotta know me for years to really hate me. <laughs> really, I'm a little disturbed, Doc. Some girl sends me a Christmas card with love, and I don't know who it is, so naturally I'm worried. Why? Why? Yeah. Why, my gosh, suppose some girl has saw me someplace and got a crush on me. You know how girls do, Doc. Probably just doesn't realize I'm married. Maybe just saw this sort of distinguished-looking man around town and bingo off the deep end. I know just how you feel, my boy. Your distress is perfectly natural. What do you mean, distress? He's never been prouder in his life. Oh, I wouldn't say I was proud exactly, my dear, but after all, one can't help it if one has the type of personality that sets women on their ears. My gosh, I remember the time when I was kind of shy and bumblefooted and no woman would look at me the second time. I remember that time, too. It was about two minutes ago. <laughs> But look, Casanova, if you're really worried that some girl has fallen in love with you, I have something here that might reassure you. Here, take it. What is it, Doctor? A pocket mirror. Read it and weep, Romeo. Merry Christmas, children. Oh. The King's Men sing Ken Darby's composition, Let's Have an Old Fashioned Christmas. Let's have an old-fashioned Christmas With snowflakes and memories of yesterday Let's sing a few dear old carols we knew Riding home in an old-fashioned sleigh See the happy faces of children
Doggone it, kiddo, this thing has got me waffled, or baffled. <laughs> Perfectly strange woman writing me mash notes when... Hey, what's the dangerous age in a man, Molly? The dangerous age? Yeah. That's the period of time between when his pants get long and his wind gets short. <laughs> now, I suppose around my age, a man does take on a kind of a sophisticated glamour for women. Kind of a man about town look that they just can't resist. Oh, I just hadn't realized till now that I'd reached that age. Well, you know, there is something different about you lately, dearie. Yeah? I look at you sometimes and I get an almost uncontrollable desire to run my hands through your hair. You do? Yes, with a pair of clippers. <laughs> How long since you've been to the barbershop? Oh, not so long. And besides, this shaggy look must have uh, had a certain appeal for women because whoever this Elizabeth is, she's... Start... Come in. Johnny. Hello, Mr. Oldtimer. Hi, or hi, Oldtimer. Hey, we got a little mystery on our hands here. Is that so? Yep. What happened, kids? Find footprints in the snow or somebody walking across your roof on his hands? No, Mr. Oldtimer. Himself here just got a Christmas card from some mysterious woman. What do you mean, mysterious woman? What other kind is there? <laughs> she means we don't know who this card is from, Oldtimer. It's signed with love, Elizabeth. <laughs> Well, it's nothing to get excited about, I guess. Happens every day. College girl crushes, you know. <laughs> I suppose Ronnie Coleman and Clark Gable run into this stuff all the time. I suppose so, Johnny. So does Roy Rogers' horse. <laughs> I read where some fan cut off a foot of Cricket's tail a couple of years ago, so you better be careful. But hey! <laughs> I, uh, I got an interesting Christmas card myself, kids. From a woman, Mr. Oldtimer? Yep, my landlady. On account of them, I'm a little behind in my rent. You're behind in your rent, so she sends you a Christmas card. She wish you a Merry Christmas? Didn't say, Johnny. Just a picture of Santa Claus on it. And underneath it, it says, Who do you think I am? Him? Well, at least you know who it's from. That's something. Oh, I suppose so. I gotta get back to work, kids. <laughs> I'm on extra at the post office this week, you know. Yeah? What doing? Smearing addresses or mislaying packages that gurgle? <laughs> I'm in the parcel post, Johnny. Oh? Here's my work order. See, daughter? Uh-huh. Yeah. It says proceed to parcel post department and see that all packages are weighed and stamped. What was that, daughter? She said see that all packages are weighed and stamped. Why? Stamped? Yeah. Oh, Jiminy, now I'm in for it. Why? I thought it said stomped. <laughs> uh, for three days, I've been having myself a wonderful time jumping up and down. I go, oh, really trip anyhow, kids. When you get that package from your Aunt Sarah, it was glassware, I think. <laughs> hey, I wonder if he could have traced this Christmas card through the post office. And well, I doubt it, dearie. And frankly, I'm developing a terrific disinterest in the entire subject. Hmm? So while you practice that flashing smile and the lifted eyebrow, I'll go start dinner. Okay, Tootsie. Ah, oh, there goes a good kid. And steady as a rock. <laughs> Strange woman writing mash notes to her husband, sending him her love, and what does she do? Scream? Pull hair? No, sir. She fixes dinner. <laughs> a little more flattering if she wasn't so dad-ratted calm about this thing because... Come in. Hi, mister. 
Oh, hi, sis. <laughs> what you doing, mister? What you doing? What you? I'm trying to think, Teeny. It seems that somebody... Gee, you got a lot of pretty Christmas cards, I betcha. Yeah, we sure did. But mm -hmm. one of them was... So did we. Good. Now be mm -hmm. quiet a minute, sis. I want to concentrate on a little problem. I here. think we had some awful pretty Christmas cards this year, mister. You did, eh? Yes, we all... Hmm? I says you did, eh? Did what? Had some awful pretty cards this year. Who did? You did. I know it. <laughs> My mama said to me yesterday, she said, bring me the Christmas card you bought for Mr. McGee and I'll address it for you, Elizabeth. Yeah, well, that... Uh, huh? <laughs> <laughs> What'd she call you? Me? Yeah. Elizabeth. Oh... She always calls me Elizabeth on account of I'm named Elizabeth. Oh. But my daddy calls me Teeny only Elizabeth. Oh, my gosh, you. <laughs> hey, Molly, here's Elizabeth. Don't go away, Elizabeth. Hey, Molly. Hey, Molly, come in and see who's Elizabeth. My gosh, you're all... I wonder whether you've tried Johnson's Glow Coat lately, because this self-polishing floor wax has a new glow, a glow that brightens up your kitchen linoleum, makes it glossier and more lustrous than before. Now, that wouldn't be quite so very special, of course, if you had to do a lot of rubbing and buffing to get that kind of finish on your linoleum. But you don't. Johnson's Glow Coat produces its own sparkling luster while it dries and without any help from you. Ask your dealer about this wonderful self-polishing floor wax. When he hands you the familiar yellow glow coat container with the bright red band, he'll be handing you the glow coat with the new glow. The glow coat that protects your linoleum, makes it easy to keep clean and very cheerful to look at. Ladies and gentlemen, for 14 years now, we've asked old Santa Claus for audiences like you. And for 14 years, he's granted our wish. And so thanks for all the wonderful Christmases you've given us. And on behalf of the Johnson Wax people and everyone on the program, we'd like to wish you the merriest Christmas ever. Here's to a bright, merry Christmas With all of the old-fashioned love we knew As long as you live This is NBC, the National Broadcasting Company. Mary Gaston, NBC Shimes, December 21, 1948. Merry Christmas, everybody. We'll talk to you later tonight, Tuesday, Patricia. Jaws Professional 1. Fibber McGee and Ma.
Alt Tab, Saturday Alt Tab, Sunday One Alt Tab, MSN Alt Tab, Sound Forge Pro 11 Point Escape, Escape. Enter. One point enter. Menu, File Menu, A, Leaving Menus, Sound 1 Star, Save as Dialog, File Name, Sound 1, Edit, M O N D A Y N I G A T 1 2 2 5 1 7 I T 8 Shift Space P A T R I C I A Com J O H N A N D L A R R Y Save as Type Combo Box Wave Microsoft Save Button Enter Sound 1 Star JAWS Profession Escape Run Dialog Type Escape Desktop Folder Alt Tab Alt Tab Alt Control J Alt Tab JAWS Con Alt Tab Escape Leave Alt Tab Alt tab dialog M Alt tab the new one stop yes Alt tab dialog Alt tab the new ones Alt tab dialog Alt tab the new one Alt tab dialog Alt tab the new Alt tab dialog Alt tab the new one stop yesterday Windows M desktop S C K D S C K D S Sound Forge Pro 11 Enter User Alt Y Sound for 